Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, after your borderline delusions mid-episode last week, where it was what? clear... Well, you, you're incredibly ill and you told stories about fishermen that didn't go anywhere. Are you, are you feeling... <laughs> <laughs> not my minded, I think the listeners quite enjoyed them, but are you feeling better after that ordeal? <laughs> yeah, yeah, hopefully. Hopefully I'm fighting fit uh, for this DS draft, but there, there may still be tales of the sea who knows any more like anecdotes about comedy mackerel signs etc <laughs> anything more something things like that to throw into the pot or, or do you think we're all good now <laughs> no I've, I've got it out of my system yeah we covered a lot of like fish town based content in that uh, that episode so uh yes that was the what we've been playing for people who are curious from last week this week matthew is fighting fit and it's good that he is because we have to do the ds draft this week i say we have to do i've actually been looking forward to this for quite a long time so People who listen to the podcast a long time will know that we do console drafts as kind of, I guess they've become our signature episodes a little bit, Matthew, and maybe more so than the best of the different year episodes because the drafts let people vote on the winners. Uh, we stole the idea from the Big Picture podcast, but it's <laughs> <laughs> it's gone pretty well. I think it's it has quite a different flavour to those podcasts because that, that's obviously a film yeah. podcast. So yeah, I think it's, it's created some of our most dramatic and interesting moments, Matthew. Yeah, I think they're the favourite episodes of our classiest listeners and then the sickos like games cool. Yeah, that's, I think that's the divide. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Because I think you get on this, you basically get like a first half that's fairly nutritious content about the console itself and the history of the console and you know its place in the pantheon of other sort of games hardware. And then in the second half, it just becomes a bit sort of bananas and you know me and Matthew just chucking shit at each other, trying to like undermine the other one psychologically, etc. So. It's going to be fun. We're going to pick 15 DS games each to represent the Holy best of the catalogue. That's a lot of DS games. It is. And Matthew did already message me beforehand saying, can we not let this one run three hours? Because <laughs> I have to edit this one. And I was like, look, Matthew, I'll try my best. But also, if you end up monologuing about, I don't know, Radiant Historia for like 30 minutes, who am I to stand in your way? You know what I mean? Don't but, try uh... and sound me out about things I may or may not include. <laughs> I know your tactics. All this weekend... We've been posting little tweets and things about our research, but I know that the other person has been looking at those tweets, analysing them for potential avenues. <laughs> yeah, the thing is that this this is an interesting draft because we're back in Matthew's home turf. Obviously, Matthew has a long history covering Nintendo consoles and was there on Endgamer during the DS days, so has you know obviously has as deep a connection with the DS as I did with the PS3 when we did that that episode. So. This is your home territory, Matthew. Are you feeling nervous about yes. doing the episode? <laughs> really? Is it <laughs> that, that bad? Nervous. It is my home territory, but also my brain is now soup 15 <laughs> years after I covered these games. Researching this, there are games where I'm like, wow, that's crazy. I've never even heard of that game. And then you follow the rabbit hole of Metacritic and realise that I reviewed it for Endgamer. <laughs> and you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> that's, that's bad. That's amazing. Oh, incredible. That's like memento sort of like games reviewer version, you know? It's like it, it <laughs> yes. turned out it was you all along who gave, I don't know, contact six out of ten or whatever. Guy Pierce looking in the mirror going, Why does jo- why does my chest say jump ultimate stars eighty two? <laughs> <laughs> 82 that seems high yeah so that's that's fun so Matthew's got a lot of DS insights and in the first half here we're going to dig into the history of the hardware then second half we'll do those 15 categories and we'll draft and you'll be able to vote on the winner at Backpage Pod in the pinned tweet no I don't have a better solution for polls yet as um, the Twitter platform (laughs) goes to shit week by week but uh, 
we'll see how it goes. Usually it's okay. I mean, last time the, the poll stopped working after four days. That was good. But fingers crossed it goes okay. So, the Nintendo DS. Matthew, the Game Boy Advance was only three and a half years old when the DS was released. When it was revealed in January 2004, Nintendo described it as a third pillar next to the Game Boy Advance and GameCube. They even said they had a true successor to the GBA in the works in February 2004, implied to be alongside the DS. And so the DS was meant to be its own little thing. Was this them hedging their bets, Matthew? How much do you think Nintendo really had riding on the DS? And do you think they would have cut their losses pretty quickly and rushed out a GBA successor if they really had to? Hard to say, but I, I do believe the line that this was something else. You know, that this was a third way they were proposing. It's a third way Owata and Miyamoto, as the two kind of main spokespeople of Nintendo at the time, clearly wanted to become the the main way, the only way. And indeed it did, you know, like actually that their idea of kind of zigging where everyone else sags, not doubling down on power, but looking to more, more towards, uh, you know, unique hardware, interesting interfaces, interesting inputs as a way of kind of getting out of the graphics arms race, which is basically what they wanted to get out of, and they fundamentally did with both the DS and Wii. But the, the talk in the run-up to it isn't the talk of, like, we're betting everything on this. It's it's very much the talk of, we're going to try this. We, we think this about where consoles are going. We want to try this instead, but we still have the GBA. And it, it, it's, a, it's kind of an interesting period to think about in terms of how much information we have about it. Because obviously there are interviews with with Iwata and Miyamoto from the time, but this predates things like Iwata Asks, where they were a lot more open about their sort of thought process and, you know, a lot more kind of explicit about what they were doing. You can glean things from that period of openness that follows. Like one of the interesting things actually in the Iwata Asks about the 3DS is they talk to the main hardware engineer on the 3DS, the guy who designs the console on a chip, the heart of any machine, and he says, we obviously started working on 3DS before DS was out. Like, that's the kind of timeline we're on with these things. And he says, back then, this was a, you know, we were, our remit was trying to get home console graphics in a handheld. That's what we thought the thing after the DS would be, which may be, if if you you know if you want to force a narrative onto this, which I do, you could say maybe that's the more conservative kind of GBA family line. You can you can almost see them pitching a version of that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I can sort of see that. I think that one thing that makes me cast out a little bit on their narrative is that after two thousand and four, the GBA games do dry up quite quickly. Yeah, so, there is that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you have like Minish Cap the next year, and you have like things like Final Fantasy um, Advanced games coming out and uh, Gunstar Superheroes. So you have a bunch of GBA games, but it does feel like all of the, the major stuff is being thrown at the DS after that. So, yeah. yeah. But no, I think I think that's a, a, an interesting way of looking at it, certainly. One of the funny things Awata says in one of the interviews, where someone, you know, basically when they announce the DS already, people are going, well, this is going to be a DS PSP fight, right? 
And he's like, well, no, the PSP's rivals are the GBA. That's what the PSP's against. You know, mm. the DS is something else entirely. It's not really, you know, so they work, you know, whether or not they plan to stick to this line. I, I quite liked their dedication to the, the GBA is still in play, you know, as as a pitch. Yeah, that's the one of, one of the interviews I read with uh, IGN US about about this. I think it was like uh, one of the Nintendo US representative, sales representative people who said that, uh, oh, we're still selling GBA SPs in droves and very much <laughs> hammering home the idea that this is this is something else and not just, um, yeah, not just a GBA successor. But it's interesting because I think we can come back to this a little bit, but there was very early on before these consoles released, there was a, a very much a PSP versus DS narrative that emerged. And I think that at the time, I remember people seeing it as, oh, coming off the success of the PS2, Sony's about to monster the hardware, the handheld space as well, in a way that it has done with the home market, where the PS2 completely dwarfed the GameCube. And I think that people wrote off the DS because it was such a high concept pitch for a handheld, the idea of a handheld that has two screens. And so a key part of the ethos behind the DS creation, Matthew, was gaming population expansion, which was uh, Satoru Iwata's brainchild. At a TGS 2003 keynote, he reportedly expressed concern that games were becoming too complicated. The touch the touchscreen allowed more intuitive play, was the thinking, and that's something where he was clearly ahead of the curve when we look at where sort of mobile gaming comes from. Um, Nintendo were there first. Matthew, fundamentally, why did the DS succeed as much as it did? Was it to do with this philosophy of anyone can play? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it, it definitely ties to specific bits of software which bust them out of their traditional audience. You don't want to just say, oh, the DS is successful because of Nintendogs and brain training, but Nintendogs and brain trainings do, like, do a lot of heavy lifting, and you just have a look at the sales numbers for those games and how many units they shifted just to play those single games and that definitely speaks to this growing audience i think it's a bit better balanced than that it's interesting listening to awata's speech from i think the 2005 gdc where he was sort of pitching talking about the revolution to come but was being a bit more explicit about the ds and maybe it was just because he was talking to a room of game developers there and traditional gamers but he really doubled down on the this hardware is still for kind of our core audience too and you know this kind of you know awakens interesting thinking for us and you know this allows us to to do interesting things with our kind of traditional territory you know he famously opens that speech with like you know i have the heart of a gamer and we all have the heart of gamers and all this kind of stuff it's very easy i think just to go oh it's this one you know it's this one thing but i, th- I think they saw it as a slightly broader church than that i think they also they're quite open about being surprised at how successful it was you know, while this was Awata's big philosophy of rather than competing for the same 100 million people, why don't we try and find new people outside of this? He often says throughout multiple Awata Arse interviews like how lucky they were that Nintendogs did what it did and how lucky they were that Brain Training did what it did and Wii Sports did what it did on the Wii. And they always say they hoped it would be right and they thought it would be the right direction. But they weren't sure of anything, basically. Yeah, and I think even when the uh, the DS was a success, Iwata was quite cagey about the Wii being an automatic success off the back of it. Like they were, there wasn't necessarily any sort of like you know uh, presumption that they were going to dominate at all. They were like, yeah, I think taken aback is probably a fair way of putting it. So 
The DS does immediately become a commercial success. It launches in November 2004 in the US, March 2005 in Europe, and Christmas 2004, it was apparently like the hot thing, um, to the, the hot toy to get hold of. And I was curious, Matthew, how much of what made the DS great do you think was there at the very start in like the hardware and the software? It's immediately a big success on the market, but when does it actually get good, the DS? I think it's like late 2005, early 2006. I think the DS Lite is super important. Yeah. Because while like the DS is, is a success, it is kind of rank. Like I'm kind of amazed that the DS did well out the gates as well as it did. You know, when you see like what it became and just how much more appealing the light was. You know, 2006 is also the year it gets new Super Mario Brothers. Pokemon Diamond Pearl, Brain Training, you know, these are like three big, big hitters for it. But like, you know, I also throw throw a bone to late 2005 because that's where I feel like you begin to get the first generation of really good core games because that's mm. where you get like Ace Attorney, you get Trauma Center, Castlevania, Dawn of Sorrow. Those are really strong things. They all come out here like March, April in Europe, I think. So then the following year. So around that period i mean i'll be honest i wasn't following it too closely you know i was at university up until april may 2006 going into my final year at university and having to focus on like exams and not like crashing out with like no degree which could have could have been a thing that would have happened and would have been <laughs> terrible and so the idea of spending too much time thinking about the the ds like i didn't i didn't own an original fat ds i was not have any money i was a student so it's a sort of period that sort of passes me by and i definitely join endgamer just as it's riding the wave of ds mania like ds lights there's new super mario brothers was reviewed in the first issue of endgamer like it's forever tied with the DNA of, of those early days of the mag, that particular period of time. Yeah, I get you. I mean, for me, I actually had a PSP shortly before I had a DS. So right. like you, I was very unconvinced by the original hardware. It just looked quite like the form factor was a bit wrong. It kind of looked like two consoles stuck together, you know, in the first It's, it's, so, first it's so angular. Yeah. Kath- Catherine's got one and it's got these like awful um apologies to Catherine listening to this it's got these awful decals that she's stuck on it from official nintendo magazine <laughs> there's no need but for that th- matthew to bring that up that's, <laughs> no, that's no, not what no. nintendo did to it she was yeah you know she was a yeah, young girl at the time that's fine yeah. but um actually when you look at the decals you're like these could have been part of this like the, the these gaudy stickers are almost of the same aesthetic as this slightly horrible console that the, that this looks of a piece is quite damning that a video game magazine could give away stickers <laughs> that look like they belong there <laughs> yeah it's got sort of like maybe same energy as the uh mike tyson tattoo uh, gba whatever that is the, you know that <laughs> right yeah whatever that is that that kind of like design where it's a bit like i guess it's a bit nintendo (laughs) cool which is to say not cool um of the of the time so yeah yeah, i yeah a bit uh a sort of a bit all over the place i just remember finding it very unappealing because the psp i think by comparison the psp despite the fact it had umds which were slightly cursed sort of like physical you know media format that was actually quite a nice design you know out of the gate it was it felt good in the hand it looked nice it looked like a play a sony product it was kind of all there but the thing that I noticed happened at the time when I was um, when I got my PSP is that it had very very few games that were worth talking about. Like once you got, you know, maybe you got Luminous, maybe you got 
in my case gta liberty city stories and it was amazing to see gta on that screen but what i noticed happening was like loads and loads of conversation around ds software specifically around like animal crossing around mario kart phoenix Wright, brain training like there was just such a like culture of of big stuff that was popping off on ds and then all that momentum seemed to lead to the launch of the DS Lite in early 2006. And that's when I was like, I have to jump on board. So the day it launched, I went down to Dixon's in the UK and got one um, with two games. And that was such... It, it, and it immediately just like pushed the PSP to one side for me. Like right. I I like the PSP and I came back to it. Ironically, I think the PSP has a better second half of its life in terms of software than, than the first half. And the DS is kind of the other way around. But at that time... It, all the exciting stuff was happening on ds it just became such a huge deal and i remember just being really impressed because we had wes on a few a few, a few weeks ago talking about how nintendo were just not seen as cool during the early noughties frosted tips sum 41 era of popular culture <laughs> i um, can't stop thinking about that like how perfectly that nails everything that was going yeah. on with them yeah, and then like right afterwards, seeing that um, that photo of Des Lynam dyeing his um, moustache purple to promote the GameCube and being like, they were completely out of time. But then Jason Alexander looking really unimpressed at like a Mario <laughs> Tennis launch event or something. <laughs> Walking out sheepishly with, Just you know, Metro Prime. Mega cursed Getty images energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then... It just suddenly started to change. Nintendo managed to reinvent itself, and that was partly a marketing thing, but it was partly the way the hardware was made as well. The clamshell you know, design of the DS Lite was a beautiful, modern-looking thing. It was perfect for the moment. It was Nintendo bang on with what people wanted. And so, yeah, I, I feel like that moment is where it had this sort of like apotheosis thing where i just i had to have one i feel like everyone got one from that point i don't really know many people who actually have the original ds matthew most people i know had the had the ds light whether they ditched the original in shame or not but <laughs> yeah so um i suppose matthew from there like what's what is your you've alluded to it a bit there but what's your journey with the ds by comparison i bought one when i got my job offer on Endgamer. That's that's what triggered me to do it. I thought, I'm just going to go and reward myself. You know, I got the call that morning and, yeah, went to Winchester, bought it from Argos in the Brooks Shopping Centre, bought Ace Attorney and uh, Castlevania Dawn of Sorrow. And in that moment was born such a huge part of what would go on to be my sort of personal brand, he said. Yuck. Just the chance of the first thing buying in playing Ace Attorney being like something which is, has just been such a through line of the career. I don't know if it's, and it is because I love it, but I don't know if there's a tiny bit of that. It's just because it was tied to one of the happiest memories of my life, which was being offered a job on something I just couldn't believe I was getting a chance to do it. And being able to buy a console for the first time in your life and say to your parents like it's for work <laughs> like it's literally for work <laughs> I've, I've managed to like evolve beyond kind of what you think games are and i'm gonna make money in brackets no money um from it so yeah like just just what a what a great time <laughs> yeah so it was also just uh like quite cheap as well i think it was yeah was it something like 100 quid maybe maybe yeah it's a, a that, means a, that feels about right yeah and i think that just meant that it got in everyone's hands off the back of that like i think the original ds didn't launch for like loads more than that but yeah it was just so cheap that everyone i knew suddenly had one my dad had one my brother had one my friend andrew had one and everyone had a copy of mario kart and you know some people had a copy of animal crossing and then 
it just meant that by the time I, I joined Imagine, obviously I was working in a PlayStation magazine, not on a Nintendo magazine, but everyone had a DS in the office, you know? Like, and mm. you, you just you saw one on like every desk. I think even if you weren't really a big Nintendo head, they were so cheap that it seemed completely reasonable to just get one. I mean, that's yeah. that's the thing. The price was so, the, the price of entry was so low. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, it's we didn't really have that culture of future, I don't think. Not in the same way that like 360 was the console that everyone had you know, whatever their mag. I don't remember there being a big DS scene. That was much more like a 3DS thing with, like, Street Pass. Maybe everyone secretly had DSs in their bags. I just didn't know. And maybe we were just quite insular on Endgamer, but I didn't... um, I don't remember playing, like, a lot of multiplayer DS with with people in the office. Your office sounds a lot more fun. Uh, Well, no, I mean, I don't want to over-egg it here. Probably under half people did. But, like, you know, I think Darren Retro Gamer had one. Ashley Day had one. I remember playing Worms with uh, Ashley Day when the uh, Imagine's, like, internet went down. So we just sat and played Worms for a while. Um, a little meeting area that was quite fun and like simon oh, no. miller had one and i think a lot of the games tm lot had one um, so yeah i mean i don't want to over i don't want to over egg it here like 360 yeah. 360 was dominant in a way the ds was not but that was the thing it's just that yeah like, i think the reason just it got into so many homes is because it was so cheap you didn't have to really ask questions about, yeah. about whether it was worth it or not i mean the analog pocket i think is i think it's 250 dollars to buy right like it's a really nice bit of hardware and obviously it's boutique and they're not you know they're not mass producing mm, it in the way mm. that nintendo is but i don't know there's just the idea of any hardware now launching for this for this price or the equivalent price just seems out of the question really i mean i guess like the um the uh switch light is kind of the uh modern version of that but even that's around twice the price so yeah, I don't know. I think that was a big part. But it, of it. didn't. It didn't have the amazing movie playing capabilities of the PSP, though. Unless <laughs> you had, we had. Um, there was a thing you could stick in the GBA. There was like a movie player. Oh right, yeah. I don't know if it was an official thing. I think it was. And you, then you'd stick SD card inside this cartridge, or you downloaded stuff on it directly. But it it was like a GBA thing, and you could maybe play stuff or put music on on there but it had the visually it definitely had the whiff of um <laughs> something kind of naughty <laughs> <laughs> also that maybe the kind of like cursed sort of frankenstein energy of that uh the 3ds add-on that added the extra stick matthew that's that cursed <laughs> yes thing. yeah all the stands you... this this the competition in the race to to <laughs> watch tv and films on the sc- on the screen or device least <laughs> equipped for it was like a very defining feature of this time like psp was probably a better fit than most but i know no, i've definitely talked about it before but like watching films on my creative zen uh, zen media player where the screen on it was maybe like an inch wide <laughs> like it was if you ever want to watch sons of anarchy on a postage stamp like truly bizarre experience if you could have if you could choose matthew between the current netflix like lineup uk lineup it's frozen and you have that on a desert island or you have every film released on umd and like every TV show released on UMD from Dodgeball to Little Britain Series 1 to 24 Series 1 to the Stewie Griffin movie and Final Fantasy 7 Advent Children. Which of those two things do you pick? Which do you think gets you more stuff? Oh, I think it's still Netflix. No, no shade on the UMD, but there's only, there's only so much uh, 
you know, f- so many UMDs with four episodes of Family Guy that I can watch, <laughs> whatever, whatever the fucking numbers works. It wasn't like a whole season on the UMD, right? No, they did do 24 season one on UMD, but not the rest. Um, so they did... All on uh, one UMD or spread across multiple UMDs? Oh, multiple UMDs, but it was like <laughs> right. a box set that had them all. I think they might have done one or two seasons of Family Guy on UMD, like the entire seasons. But right. um, yeah, again, like very cursed artifacts of the early, of the mid-noughties, those things. <laughs> so yeah, okay, fair enough. So you'll be watching, I don't know, um, Love is Blind rather than, I don't know, Reign of Fire with Christian Bale. Fair enough. <laughs> Reign of Fire or you, season three. <laughs> so, so Matthew, the DS hardware iterations are like a key part of its evolution. I think in some ways... It maybe has the most meaningful upgrades of any of any hardware we've seen. Now I think it's very much an arbitrary power upgrade, and I think with the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One X, like they were kind of they very much felt like mid-generation refreshes in a way that a new new generation does not feel does not feel that way. But the DS history is interesting. So we start with this slightly cursed original model. We get this like miraculous hardware revision for the ds Lite, i think and then there's a dsi as well so what do you think is sort of behind that evolution what's nintendo's thinking there about how it kind of keeps the ds fresh in people's minds and upgrades the feature set it's kind of an interesting one because obviously they're working on the dsi probably simultaneously with the wii and water has has said in interviews they looked at the fun people were having with wii particularly like the channels and the interface and the kind of goofiness of it and they thought there should be a bit more of that in the DS. One of the big things DSi brings is like extra downloadable bits of software, things that live on the machine digitally, an SD card that can hold music. So it's got like a music player, you know, the camera so it can take pictures. They want more stuff that kind of organically lives on there. To me, it always felt like them seeing what was happening in smartphones and going, we need a little bit more of this. You know, it, it's kind of almost a little bit more like a sort of iPhone without a phone component to it. You know, it, it's, it's sort of edging that way. And, you know, they're quite open about really admiring Apple and saying, does this hardware enable new fun software? And that's our driving philosophy here. It's quite an odd thing, particularly the cameras. You know, the idea of 0.3 megapixel cameras being like a big selling feature. And does anyone look back on photos they took on the TSI and go like, brilliant, (laughs) I'm glad I've got this incredibly low-res record. I mean, their argument for the power of the thing was, you know, it's fundamentally still DS hardware and we don't want to kind of split that audience, so that's fine. And also, like, with the screens we have, you don't need a higher resolution image than that, you know, like that level of camera is perfect for the screen, but the whole thing seems seems quite daft and redundant not that we thought that at the time like we obviously fucked around with all the the weird kind of camera features and messed around with it and enjoyed all the the silly little bits of dsi where if they'd been able to have made the leap where you could have downloaded whole ds games maybe or had like a digital ds marketplace as opposed to just dsi where like they were several years away from that that being the kind of the, the level they'd operate at that probably would have felt like more of a revolutionary leap rather than this slightly weird kind of halfway house where you know dsi where some of it's fine 
you know, there's a couple of like absolute standout pieces, but Nintendo took many, many years to get anywhere close to feeling like they'd really like nailed their digital offering. And this was quite a sort of tentative step towards that. Yeah, I actually just completely passed it by at the time. When I bought a new DS, I just bought a DS Lite again. I, I didn't really, wasn't super convinced by the idea of smaller digital download games and some of the stuff they were making seemed very slight. So mm. I just I just skipped it and then it was something I could basically pick up and enjoy the highlights on 3DS. You know, it was kind of like a, a first step in that direction, I suppose. So... Yeah, I don't know. It was um it was just interesting that they kept they kept pushing that hardware forward. They didn't just leave it as it was and add a new light. They changed the form factor each time and then mm. yeah, and then added features. So, yeah, interesting stuff. I um, don't know if you've just come out of a period of what happened with the GameCube and the shellacking you've taken to finally have the thing everyone wants. Hmm. It's got to be very hard to resist the temptation to make as much of that thing as you can. It's not like they haven't done this before. They've got a long tradition in the handheld space of trying to update these things and shrinking them. Like I don't think there are technically any more DSs than there are Game Boys or GBAs. I don't think. I think there's. I think there are more DSs than maybe like. I think it's the DS might be the best-selling Nintendo hardware. Right. Uh, but then I don't think I don't think that's true. If you add GBA with Game Boy, I think that's where it exceeds right, it. I'm just right. I'm just plucking numbers out of thin air here. I'm not sure if that's true, but <laughs> I think that's right. I think, that the, I think the Game Boy did over a hundred million, and then I think the GBA did something like fifty million. I'm just guessing. Uh, oh, yeah, it's not uh, useful. No, no yeah. it, was, it, was, it was more specifically like the num the the number of hardware oh. updates they did isn't actually that different from like a Game Boy Game Boy Color, you know, Game Boy Pocket you know a gba gbsp gb micro you know mm. like that uh, they have they have previous form like ds maybe gets another one when they do like the the big ones the sort of old people version <laughs> i don't remember that one there was an old people ds yeah or do you mean the 3ds um the, when they did the 2ds uh version of that that was like the fisher price version for like no they do like the dsi xl which is oh, like okay. the, the big chunker Oh yeah, I think my dad had that one actually. Yeah, and he yeah, is, that's you know. it's got like a big screen, but like it just it just honks everything. It doesn't like it's not more powerful. It just it just makes everything look slightly bigger and slightly worse, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, so that yeah, so I think you're right. There's a comparable number there, but um, yeah. yeah, I suppose like the feature set is maybe getting more advanced. Adding cameras is maybe more drastic than things they typically do. Like this generation, obviously, they've had the OLED screen, which actually is a, more of a game changer than. I would argue than cameras are because you, you you notice in your hands with the switch, the OLED switch, just how how much nicer the games look, um, even if they're it's not any more powerful in terms of processing power. Mm. So yeah, um, so Matthew, I suppose like a really key part of the DS's success was the were the mainstream ad campaigns at the time involving <laughs> celebrities and you know lots of uh, lifestyle imagery that very successfully got the DS and Wii into m- tens of millions of homes. And it was just before smartphones broke, and that was I think that was a key thing. They were ahead of that, then smartphones would kind of replace them. But what did you make of the mainstream ad campaigns at the time as someone who was covering Nintendo actively and, and the overall reception towards the DS from people who weren't necessarily interested in games? Again, kind of hard to untangle from my time on magazines where, you know, Endgamer's whole deal was like, we're not that you know we're we're the kind of we're not the new nintendo we're like the traditional nintendo people and you know o&m kind of made itself look um, a lot more how nintendo presented itself to the world o&m was a lot more touch generations than 
than Endgame Awards. So I remember thinking this was one of the first times in my life where I realised how advanced marketing had become, particularly in regards to like how well-targeted it was, in that I know it was a massive campaign. I know it did really well, and it pushed out to these all these new places but actually i personally encountered very little of it out in the wild it was put in places where the right people would see it and what was quite kind of brilliant about the whole operation was that people kind of saw the bit of the machine that they were meant to see and i think the closest thing we ever came to running like a touch generations advert which for people who don't remember that was like the collective branding for a certain kind of ds game which were often like very much stylus led and you know, aimed at the quote-unquote casual gamer. And you had people like Nicole Kidman sitting there doing brain training and and quite big celebrities um, to push these things. But I think the the closest we came to running something like that is we had a... There was a a range of spoof adverts done with... um, For some snooker game, there was one with Steve Davies. Right, yeah. Like, mimicking. It was... looked exactly like Nicole Kidman. It was like him sitting, looking rather dreamy, you know, dreamily at his DS on a couch. Right. And instead of a stylus, it was like a, a mini uh, snooker cue that he was holding. And so we had like the parodies of the marketing in Endgamer. That was that was more <laughs> our speed. But yeah, I mean, certainly this is where it ramps up. And a lot of its successes are marketing successes. You know, yeah. the, the success of Nintendogs isn't just his delightful Nintendogs, which is a really interesting piece of software in its own right. It's how cleverly they tapped into the dog-loving bit of the brain, you know, the idea of kind of putting out a range of these games with different dogs on the cover. You know, kids would see them. It was it was like going to a sort of virtual pet shop and picking out a breed from the shop. I think, you know, how they presented the games on stands was very like, pick a dog that you like and then you'll have it. And that's probably like more important than what the game is. Yeah, it's funny because I, I was exposed to this advertising and it was... Mostly when I, it was before I moved out of my parents' house in 2007, so I was watching, I know, the thing that my parents would always watch is Coronation Street, and you would definitely see those ads during that, and that's when my mum might comment on it and be like, oh yeah, look, it's, you know, it's those games you like, but on during Coronation (laughs) Street or whatever, but she would have said that, but, you know, that was the thing, it was like our worlds colliding for pretty much the first time, you know, I mean, obviously, there had been, you know, like the you know the ps2 had had sold like i think more than the we did so it was you know that that was already like a mainstream success but the way the very aggressively mainstream way in which this was being sold was was it was innovation wasn't it it did it did yeah. work it did work it did get people interested in the products even if the you know the products were maybe slightly different from the what the marketing suggests as you say but yeah i sort of admired it but also i think that like we know that we we've discussed this before, but it was kind of a dead end for Nintendo. Ultimately, you know, it's sort of like, well, actually, no, we've debated this before because well, I think we've discussed does this actually grow Nintendo's like core user base in some way? I does this bring in Nintendo players, or does this create just a a wave of players who see the Nintendo products as disposable and then just completely yeah. move on when when the iPhone comes out? And I well, think that the answer is it probably did both, you know? Yeah, it, it's like the Wii Sports thing. It's people who buy a Wii for Wii Sports and maybe Wii Fit and then never buy another game for it. Yeah. You know, it's actually... The fact is, 
if you look down the best-selling games on DS, while there are some staggering figures in there, you know, games selling 30 million copies, they are all Nintendo first-party games. They are the games which sold hardware. You know, this game and this piece of hardware you maybe bought once, they sold to an audience who maybe didn't appreciate the, the concept of a console is that once you've bought it, you buy other things for it. You know, they just bought it for their one thing and that was fine. There's a huge drop-off after that definitely exacerbated by just the how incredibly easy it was to pirate stuff and you do get to a point where there's like no point making a core game for the, for the ds because its sales figures don't mean anything that's like 80 million mums who aren't going to buy gta chinatown wars um <laughs> And like twenty million people, how many of them have an R four card and is just are just gonna like download it on day one? Many, I would imagine. Like it, it, it seemed. I, you know, I know this working on a magazine which was targeted at. We were trying to sell to a bit of an audience that probably just looked at our magazine and you know just downloaded everything we recommended. Probably played more DS games than we did because they were just zonking them down the pipe. So it was, it's so easy, you know, to do truly wild times you know the numbers speak to that like the actual people who managed to sell games are actually quite few and far between it's basically nintendo and square enix yeah it's a weird one the same thing happened on psp as well where i think like you know you mentioned chinatown wars i think that was kind of the poster child for look how much r4 has fucked things up um, for the ds and i think on um i remember like one of the decidia games final fantasy games came out and i think i think it was a number that it had been downloaded five times more than it had sold or something like that. Right. thing is, I, I didn't engage with the games that way. Obviously, I was lucky enough to get, you know, PSP games for free, but I didn't get DS games for free. I think one thing that I, I always thought was very appealing about the DS is the games felt very collectible. And mm. because they were on these, like, flash carts, they didn't have the same problem with um, the batteries dying that you get in Game Boy and GBA games, where you now have to like basically replace the batteries if you want the the safe functions to work the ds doesn't have that problem um it doesn't I think have they any... do rot with time though because like my copy of picross ds will not work in anything for love really? or money uh, yeah oh interesting so and just... that might be my fault for like keeping them all in an old biscuit tin. <laughs> <laughs> who can say matthew who can say that was really funny that biscuit tin yeah i don't know my, mine all seem okay but i've got them all like in these enclosed hoary plastic cases i, I don't know but I was just playing a copy of Awenden, like an early DS game, and that is working completely fine. So right. I don't know. But, you know, it makes me nervous, the, the thought of it. But, well, yeah, piracy. I, 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 everything I tried works apart from Picross DS, which, <laughs> you know, is very precious to me. So Fair sad. enough. That is sad. I, which I, I, just treat yourself to a new one on, on the Patreons, Matthew. That's like, well, that's what the money's for. <laughs> Don Draper voice. That's what the money is for. Um, okay, so... Matthew, I want to talk a bit more about the DS and Wii and comparing those. So if I can float a thesis by you about why I think think the DS has a much stronger reputation in retrospect than the Wii, I think it's fair to say that that is the case, is that it emerged very quickly that the touchscreen could support very complex types of games as well as types of games we hadn't really seen before, whereas the Wii just didn't have the same depth of control in those motion controls, at least until Wii Motion Plus when it became very precise. And as a novel control scheme at the time, it just wasn't used by developers with the same same breadth or innovation as the touchscreen was. It wasn't as versatile an input, and it just meant the DS could both be 
this console for people with good taste in games, like, like us. That sounds ridiculous, yes, me saying that. Us, but let's us that... and all of our patrons. <laughs> yeah, and all of our listeners. And and also something that your nan might be interested in playing, you know, that's something that could could sell a copy of Brain Training. And, you know, it's... The, the Wii has languished as a shovelware machine with only a few obvious outliers, but the DS... Because it just had, you could be so precise with those touch touch controls and so many genres flooded onto the thing. It just means it's got like a a massive reputation the way that the Wii doesn't. Even though the the, the means with which they were sold and how much they they sold at the time were the same. Yet they they feel like a world apart to me in terms of reputation. What do you think about that? I definitely see the, the input thing. I mean, the difference between... You know, motion controls aside, the Wii instantly becomes quite a trad console with lots of buttons, and it's all, it's all a little bit strange. I mean, my favourite thing about the Wii is the fact that you can play, like, hands apart, and that won't speak to, you know, anyone unless they've spent years and years hunched over a controller. That's quite a weird a, a weird innovation. Yeah, and the fact that the big successes on DS are the stylus-driven games, that all makes sense. I, I think the DS still has its fair share of what happened on Wii. People don't know it as, as well, but like it, it still had loads of licensed crap that was as bad as like the licensed crap was on like Game Boy and Game Boy Advance. Like there's still like an absolutely rank tier of like 30% rated movie tie-ins and EA annual iterations and things like that. You know, you don't kind of come into any contact with that, which which probably helps. Where we it, it uh, just seems seem more obvious. I mean, it probably just comes down to difference in budget, right? Between a portable and a home console games, just a greater volume of games being made for DS. You know, particularly in Japan which probably gives it this slightly better reputation as well. But, I mean, yeah, I, I generally agree. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it, just a, a few other things as well. I think that, like, Western publishers took it took the DS more seriously than they took the Wii seriously, you know? Um, or yeah, certainly, they weren't or, rewarded, though. Right, you don't think that's that... That's the thing. Like, if you, if you look in the, you know, the top 100 best-selling DS games of all time, the only big western seller in there weirdly is lego star wars oh that makes sense i guess uh, yeah yeah a t- time did about four million on ds mm. and then it's like a lot of nintendo games a couple of dragon quest games and then right down i think when you hit about hit about a million copies sold again you finally get to uh, guitar hero on tour <laughs> right uh, yeah like that is the second best-selling western made game on there and then after that i think it's a hannah montana game Right. Like it's pretty dire what does well in the West, and like I think people did try. Like I think EA, you know, they they obviously they did like the whole My Sims thing that they tried doing on Wii. They did on DS as well, where they actually put I think quite a lot of budget, quite a lot of thought and time and effort to try and make a a proper version of the Sims, rather uh, you know a, a bespoke version of the Sims, rather than like the weird simplified console version of the pc game that they made before but i don't feel like they were they were ever properly uh, like rewarded for that or you know there wasn't like a great response to it and then you just get a lot of people just doing bad clones of what nintendo did that's the other thing is a lot of people just saw well look at all this money to be made from brain training so like which British celebrity have we got? Let's, oh, it's Car- it was Carol Vorderman's number crunching or whatever. <laughs> There's like a Golden lot of Golden balls, that. of course. Go- all the terrible TV tie-ins, which are maybe the shows which run between all this DS advertising. Maybe that makes sense. You know, mm. you've got that... Uh, 
What's that astrology thing that always does the rounds on Twitter? Is it Russell something's astrology? Like he's just <laughs> yeah. he's just Russell Grant. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Just this big, yeah, this big sort of like jolly face surrounded by astral figures. Um, <laughs> always, always makes me laugh. So maybe people had it coming that they thought, oh, we can just do, we can just do our version of that, and it'll work. And you know, Nintendo are just so sort of masterful at making the polished version and then selling it. That's uh, that's interesting, actually. Is that yeah, I hadn't, I'd really thought about that actually about how how well a lot of those games do because I really do think that Western publishers gave it much more of a run than they gave the Wii you know it just it felt like there was some there was just some better stuff like a better undercurrent of things coming out on there like core core games but yeah like you say they just weren't they weren't rewarded for that and that's kind of a shame but um it is interesting actually because I think that I look at my own sort of highly curated you know collection of DS games and I get very excited by them and I'm like well this is like a, a pretty amazing array of stuff and then I look on facebook marketplace in bath for ds games and see like basically the abyss just like uh just roiling rivers of shite you know what i mean just like the worst (laughs) things you've ever seen like licensed games and you know the same old crap being kind of like offloaded like just really bad stuff so yeah it's it's true that it's just odd that the the console contains those two identities you know it really is like a core gaming machine and then it is very much not that at the same time um Mm. i suppose that is true for any console that becomes successful enough but i don't know here it just seems more pronounced because the gulf between the good stuff and the bad stuff is so vast so uh yeah yeah, and the the exception the exception is like some of the core stuff that just does so well in japan but nowhere else but but means it's worth pumping a lot of money in you know like ds is is not even loki it's a great jrpg machine Mm. for that reason because dragon quest uh, nine was just so big in Japan that everyone starts chasing it in the same way that like you know Monster Hunter has that effect with the PSP and then everyone chases that and you know it's it's worth a gamble of of something decent it's worth like a bigger budgeted handheld game you know when you have that active fan base that could be yours and so we, as a result we are quite well fed in in games that almost don't have to do well in the West because yeah. they kind of did their numbers in over in japan Mm, yeah that makes sense so uh, matthew do you think the success of the ds led to the current success of the switch and the surprising success of some relatively hardcore returning nintendo series do you think the ds created enduring new generations of nintendo fans and trying to basically work out where you know basically where the audience for metroid dread or like you know kirby and the forgotten land really came from in in these games becoming like modern blockbusters in the way that these series really just weren't back in the the ds and wii days do you think that the ds is a key part of creating that new generation of nintendo players switch is just like it, it seems like it's its own sustaining success machine everyone's just in on switch now so whatever nintendo do people do it you know like trying to work out where the success of metroid dread lies when i think it probably just lies in in the switch itself hard to say i mean anecdotally like obviously i know writers who are maybe five to ten years younger than me who the ds was like a formative machine and i can see the through line from the games they would have played on the ds and what they rate now animal crossing being very very big with games journalists in 2020 absolutely tracks with Mm. animal crossing being very very big on ds because you play it as a 
12 year old 15, 12 to 15 year old and then you're you're the age where you're then the tastemaker in 2020 and it really lands or even earlier than that like the 3ds version but i can see individual case studies where i'm like that person was a ds person you know yeah and and i kind of know what that means deep down <laughs> even <laughs> if it's hard to articulate well no i think uh, i i just also think that you know the the success of phoenix right you know obviously it wasn't like a monster seller right but it was big enough to become this enduring cult sensation, right? And, you know, and for, to me, it at least feels like the audience for that series is our age and then maybe five years younger. And so that yeah. again, that again feels like it tracks back to DS to me a little it, bit. That, that, get, that, that console gets these games in people's hands in a way that previous Nintendo hardware maybe didn't, you know? Yeah, I, I think I can like pinpoint. Uh, like someone whose formative console was a DS more easily than someone whose formative console was like a GBA. Right. Like yeah. that, that that has less of an identity. You know, you're you are more open to like weirder shit. You probably look like quite sort of bespoke interesting hardware. You're more open to the fucking crankomatic or whatever it is. What's that thing called? Crankomatic. That's a British it's, version. It, like that thing was basically pre ordered by people who love the DS and the DS was their first console. Yeah. While all the analog pocket people are all like the people who like Castlevania on GPA. <laughs> you know. These are these are preposterous generalizations, but I, en- <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoy them nonetheless. <laughs> I said I, I i can't say any of it for sure i'm just feeling my way through this yeah and that the, feels right to me ah uh, yes um, constructing <laughs> syn- synthetic narratives that's what we do on this podcast <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> yeah that, you were right about them this the ds has having much more of an identity than the gba like the gba so much of it was like snes ports right when we've talked about doing that draft it's like the array of original hard uh, original software that's worth picking. There are more than twenty games for sure, but from Nintendo itself, it's yeah, it's, so, it's such an avalanche of like cool SNES stuff, and then a bunch of new games that riff on SNES stuff. That seemed to be the profile of a right, lot of GBA yeah. games, right? Whereas DS is like a lot of series get completely reinvented, you know. Um, so GBA yeah, it's like. We've just spent all these years learning how to make NES and SNES games. And then you're like, oh shit, now we've got to make 3D games. And it's like, no, you don't. All those teams, you can make GBA games instead and just carry on doing what you're doing. And they're like, fucking rad. We're going to make some great games. Um, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so Matthew... Based on nothing. <laughs> That's so, my narrative and I'm sticking to it. Fair enough. So, Matthew, which classic Nintendo series thrive on DS and which get left by the wayside? Does every series benefit from the success of the DS in the way that, you see, you know, a lot of series have benefited from the success of the Switch or just some? Just some. If anything, I'd say, like, again, that slightly vague sense of GBA 2D sprite heroes maybe don't do as well. Like, definitely, like, the weaker Nintendo first-party games are where they have like trad 2d platforming heroes and they don't really know what to do with them that's interesting on the dual screen it's why you get average wario games not a very good yoshi game no 2d metroid like there's actually that wing of nintendo 
suffers a little bit and those things do come back you know they're not they're not dead for good but i don't want to say like they you know this was like a castle machine so something kind of weird like wario doesn't work and wario still has like where you know you know his his wario wears and all that but like gba was pretty good for like the wario land well i think it's interesting that you know if we're talking about specific series then yes wario is actually kind of intact on ds okay because there are like there's also is there a wario platformer as well on this um yeah this it's not very good that's the problem <laughs> right 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 but that's like, the um, thing like that, that nintendo do make some six out of tens and like the 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 yoshi's island ds is one of them wario's like yeah princess peach wasn't crazy into that yeah. um I guess like I'm pleased that they did the experimental tingle game. Is it actually good? Mm. <laughs> well, I think another series that loses out is you've got quite a lot of F Zero on GBA and you don't get any of it on ODS, I, I believe, Matthew. Or anywhere else ever again. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of it. And then obviously as well, um you have uh, Metroid Fusion and Metroid Zero Mission on GBA. Yeah. You know, again another remake in, in there, but also a very high end original game. And you know, there is Metroid on a G on DS, but it's in the form of Metroid Prime Hunters, which is, you know, a weaker uh, 3D Metroid game. So, you know, and then also you have a series that bypass the GBA entirely and then end up on DS. So you have a Star Fox game on DS, which is not really all that. It's quite... Um, you know, it's quite unexciting. It just it's, it's part of the ongoing identity crisis of Star Fox, right? Of like, what yeah, exactly do you do with it? it's one of the more exciting or more interesting ones. I mean, yeah, but the competition there is like not enormous. I mean, <laughs> but basically, they are all some version of Lilac Wars, right? Or some version of the original Star Fox. Like they kind of like get that formula formula down, and then it's about what can we kind of layer on top of this. But yeah, it is. I suppose like if you think about what was going on in GameCube, then I suppose the DS one is actually like it's a safe pair of hands. Um, the DS one really by comparison. So yeah, yeah, some series. Interestingly, like what happens to like Nintendo's sort of strategy wing? Fire Emblem doesn't have a great tie. You know, there's there's a you know a notable exception to that. But coming from GBA, where Fire Emblem kind of like properly arrived in the West to a point where when they're making the 3DS one, they're like, this is the last roll of the dice for Fire Emblem. You know, <laughs> DS sits in the middle and is responsible for getting the series to that dire place. You know, Advance Wars quite strong coming in after Days of Ruin. No one seems that bothered or interested with it after that. It's the latter day DS stuff. Something definitely changes. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah, it's just interesting because some also some series seem to be allowed to stay in two D, then some just are, are sort of like forced into three D, and it maybe it maybe works or it doesn't work quite as well. So mm. yeah, it's um it's interesting seeing them figure that out. So. Outside of Nintendo, Matthew, who do you think were the winners on DS? Who actually like managed to sell some games and like build their profile and, and make a real go of it? Like I said, Square Enix, Dragon Quest, Dragon Quest Nine is just a phenomenon in Japan. Like it's so big that it encourages Nintendo to like really get behind it in the West because they're like, we must be able to have a kind of a fraction of this success. Um, and on the back of Dragon Quest Nine. Like, actually, Dragon Quest, you know, across the board, the, the series of ports that they do, quite snazzy remakes, actually, of, like, um, 4, 5, and 6, all do very, very well on DS. The other big winners and, like, the emerging talent of this period, you can't talk about DS without talking about Level 5. You know, a sort of studio that sort of, sort of comes from nowhere ends up being probably one of the bigger biggest sort of IP factories outside of Nintendo. You know, they really look like 
they were going to be another kind of game freak in a way with Professor Layton, Inazuma 11. This Yokai Watch, it's the tail end of that DS. I no, think. I think that's it starts on 3DS, that one. Does that start on 3DS? Yeah. There was another one that they did, another collectible thing. Anyway, but we were always so excited to cover their games. They were so polished, they were so confident from like iteration one. They came out with really exciting plans of how to make them all novel. Like they, they weren't um you know, if you compared them to like what they were making to, say, the Pokemon series, their like technical ambitions and the presentation and the level of polish, it was like unreal. Like they, they really kind of like doubled down on that thing and put their best foot forward. It was um they were like such a treat to cover and I think they hit a bit of a I think the absence of a Nintendo handheld in the market has definitely hurt them. Like it's it's basically what they knew how to do, and then they'd occasionally make these less successful like PS3 and PS4 games. It feels like they're maybe getting a second win now, but during this period they were the ones to beat. We used to load up their website on Endgamer, and because they they bought a new office, they opened this new office, you know, about midway through their DS run, and their website had all these pictures and it just looked so nice that we'd we used to load up images of it and just sort of fantasize what it would be like to work in such a nice building um so good old level five (laughs) you you were sort of like your stock in level five at this time was just out of control it's well documented that you thought that was it hino was going to take over nintendo that's like i thought if anyone like if anyone was like someone who was very close to Nintendo, had those close ties, really could make a success of things in the way Nintendo had, you know, was making the kind of stuff that Nintendo liked so much that they were publishing it in the West. I don't know, Hina had all the hallmarks mm. of, of like of where Iwata came from. You know, he's a game maker himself, but also clearly a good manager of a company, also a big marketing brain. I really thought he was I thought he was the chosen one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I echo your sort of enthusiasm that maybe in the next few years you might see a bit more DS uh, level five in terms of what they make as opposed to like franchise chasing, which I think is less interesting. You know, just make a really good later and then make a really good a new thing. That would be mm. my ideal uh, sort of path for them, because I, I'd like to see them get on top. Don't they, like, sponsor a football stadium in Japan? Did I imagine that? There's, like, a oh, sounds, level... It sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, okay, so that, that's a, I think that's a good assessment of the winners there. So much like Capcom on DS as well, Matthew? Is that really a, a going concern? I guess, like, if you throw in, like... Phoenix Wright and Ghost Trick, you do have a few important things going yeah. on there, but maybe not I, the most important, maybe not the bigger th- series. Yeah, I feel like they've always had this like base loyalty to Nintendo and a closeness, and like Capcom never phone it in. Like right. they just, just everything they make is is pretty good, apart from the Mega Man games. Um, <laughs> that was just for the one listener who asked about that, who asked very uh, politely and um, and does support <laughs> the podcast uh, on Patreon. Matthew, oh, okay. But... Well, shout out to you, uh, <laughs> Matthew. Wishes you well. I wish you well. Um, <laughs> they just make good stuff and hope for the best is, is my take on, on Capcom. And sometimes it, it works out really well for them, sometimes not. During this time, they're making an incredible bank on PSP with Monster Hunter. Like, that is their version of squaring it and Level 5's success on DS. They did not have to make a Kami Den <laughs> for DS, but they did, and we thank them for it. Yeah, it's just weird because when you get to... 
the 3DS era, Capcom are probably the number two after Nintendo, right? The most important publisher. Whereas Square Enix kind of disappears, really, from the 3DS. They're not really a going concern in the same way. They don't have the same volume of stuff. So maybe they just got their fingers burnt too badly by piracy on the um, the PSP mm. and DS to invest in that versus, you know, PS3 or 360 or whatever. So, yeah, very, uh, very interesting, Matthew, to hear your perspective on the winners and losers there. So... I think we're almost done with the preamble, Matthew. But like, do you think? And this is this is a, the really kind of key thing. I think is that we are in a more conservative era of game input when it comes to hardware and like types of hardware. I mean, in some ways we're not because there are so many boutiquey handhelds around and like you know amazing emulation solutions in the home and things like that. But in terms of the big console manufacturers, you know, doing like a connect you know arrives on day one with the console you know kind of punt from xbox and you know in the case of ds giving people two screens something you've never seen before or the wii with the motion control we we haven't seen that for a little while like a radical input in the vein of the ds do you think we're ever going to see something like that again from nintendo i mean it sounds like someone's forgotten hd rumble on the switch <laughs> that's true um... or, uh, or labo forgot about labo <laughs> Yeah, I think they would say the fact that they kind of compacted their home console and portable console timelines into one was pretty radical for Switch. It may seem like a bit conservative, a thing you can play on the TV or play on your lap, but that is a huge shift for them. Um, Mm. It's also the reason why I, I struggle to see what a more kind of radical or out there hardware could look like if they continue to pursue this we're only making one machine that is both now which feels like they're going to because it's it's just done so well for them people like it you can see trends elsewhere what other people are experimenting with with like the second screen of the playstation portal or the steam deck you know nintendo ahead of the curve people are still kind of feeding into that they're obviously going to stick with that and it's it's very hard to imagine like what the hardware would be how it could be experimental and still satisfies both a home console and a portable console. If it was only one of those two things, there's more space for it to kind of like be a bit weirder and a bit more bespoke. But mm. isn't the current rumor next Switch is just a Switch with like a camera on it? Yeah, that is basically it. So the DSi version of the Switch, but yeah, yeah or maybe yeah. like edging that towards like Wii U with like some video call functionality. Maybe I don't uh, know. Yeah, it's- yeah. I, 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 mean, I, I get it. I get it because you can't afford to make missteps when you have one, just one machine that you're selling. Like it has to be the everything yeah, machine, right? right? Like yeah, it's... that's but that's the that's the succinct better version of what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a very warm day, Matthew. Summer fucking came back in the in the beginning of September, which is very irritating. So I enjoyed our overcast summer. I thought that was pretty good. To be oh, well, honest. I hated it. it was overcast, but I was also poorly for a lot of it. So like. You didn't get the energy boost that you would have got. And now I'm not poorly, but um, it's muggy. So I'm kind of like slightly muted again. Like, when will I ever be 100%? <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I, I pray for your uh, ongoing good health. Okay, there was there was one last thing I wanted to ask, actually, which was, I did discuss this earlier, but I think the PSP did get better in its second half of its life when you had like, you know, God of War, Chains of Olympus and Ghosts of Sparta and some really cool stuff from Square Enix, like the their sort of Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy games are really were really strong and really pushed that hardware. Whereas the DS, it feels like by the time you get to around 
I don't know, 2008? It feels like the DS's best games, are, best days are sort of behind it. And you have, you know, like a three-year stretch there until the 3DS launches. Do you, do you have a fair assessment, Matthew, or do we think we just we just tend to talk about the games that came along a bit earlier? That's probably a fair assessment. I mean, it's quite similar to what happened with the Wii. You know, it's just on this, like, roll for so long, and they keep just dropping, like, megaton things that kind of renew it and refresh it and get everyone excited again. And eventually those things just sort of stop happening. And, you know, arguably, like, DSi forward, they never really, like, find the big smash breakout hit again. And they so soon shift into, like, well, well, now we're talking about 3DS instead. It's definitely tough for covering it on a magazine, you know, like it kind of happened at the same time with Wii and, and DS, just as the, the kind of big hitters seem to slow down on, on DS, you begin to get Nintendo trying to refresh the Wii with like Wii Motion Plus and both become a bit of a bad hang, albeit with like the occasional xenoblade chronicles or ghost trick to kind of come along and make you feel like really renewed you know there's always biggies there to kind of give them a shot in the arm there's always a like a pokemon or whatever but those are those are kind of like old favorites and old reliables rather than what is the the next big thing they definitely happen in the first three four years of it that's uh, that's true and then yeah like i think like, like you say there's a few bits and pieces that come along after oh wait you know for sure and Pokemon really does keep selling. That's one exception to the yeah. piracy and thing, Dra- right? Dragon Quest. The fact that the Dragon Quest narrative out of Japan was as big and, like, you know, dominated the headlines, definitely in specialist circles the way it did, was because that was, like, the only game in town. You know, yeah. in 2009, it was the game of Japan, and then they tried to make it a big thing in 2010 over here, less successful. That it did make that noise, I think, is an indicator of where things were generally at with DS. Yeah, you actually are so right about the bestsellers as well. I just looked at the list. You are right. There's the top 10 pretty amazing sellers. And then after that, it drops off very quickly. Right. And yeah, and then you are your your, your old favorite Spectrobe still managed to sell a million copies, Matthew. Oh, just... God. <laughs> um, Disney Pokemon game. So yes, uh, that's, that's funny. But yeah, otherwise, it's, uh, yeah, this... There's around like 60 or so games that have sold at more than a million copies. And yeah, the vast majority of them are, are from Japan, like you say. So, okay, Matthew, do you th- is there anything else we should cover there? Or do you think we've, we've done our, our due diligence on I the feel uh, like We've DS? talked a lot about DS, and I would like to talk about some DS games. That's fair, yeah. So, I, I, I just, yeah, I guess I'll just reiterate that I really do just love this as a piece of hardware and, you know, revisiting a lot of the games for this draft was just an absolute pleasure i think there's there's definitely like a, a step back in presentation your your brain needs to like calibrate to but actually some of the ways in which that second screen was used it's just it really was such a specific way of playing games that was that was magic in its own right and mm. and not and not gimmicky sometimes it was used in a gimmicky way that touch screen but you know i just the vast majority of games just found ways to really make it work i mean i think the, that's actually really surprising that the likes of Advance Wars and Fire Emblem didn't massively explode on this thing because they they would seem like the perfect games for DS. So kind of bizarre, really, that they're yeah, like um, that Advance Wars goes away and then Fire Emblem is on its last legs until you get to um, 3DS. So yeah, hell of a piece it's of a hardware. Very very charming. Sort of Iwata asks. It's not actually Iwata, but he, Iwata in the narrative of the interview sends Sakurai 
to interview the Fire Emblem guy about Shadow Dragon on DS. Right. His argument being, Sakurai's a huge fan of the series. Obviously, Fire Emblem is like very important to Smash Brothers. It's very well represented on the roster. So he sort of sends sort of Sakurai as a roving reporter um, <laughs> to do the interview, and uh, he kind of like fanboys out, which I quite like, and asks all these stupid questions. Um, you know, he clearly is super into it. It's very endearing and worth tracking down. Mate, I've played the Switch Smash Bros. I know he's super into it, okay? I get it. <laughs> right. There's <laughs> like 40, 40 lads with swords in that game. It's actually like become a Fire Emblem beat-em-up with some Nintendo <laughs> characters in it. Very much so. Okay, Matthew, let's take a break and come back with the DS draft itself. Let's do it. back to the podcast so we come to the actual draft part of this episode 15 categories it's our largest draft in a while why 15 so i felt like we with the three three 360 and the ps2 we just like only got a little surface layer look at what the console is now we talked about loads of games on this on the episode anyway so it's not like we we didn't encapsulate the whole of the history but i did just have a little yearning in my heart to have a few more categories in there for each one ps3 was fine with 10 by the way that was okay <laughs> could, have, could have gone with five if you ask me <laughs> yeah there won't be a redraft of the ps3 um I, I, I can i can confirm but matthew i felt like the ds deserved 15 but how did you feel about about expanding that for this like you say, the, the library's huge. It actually goes into to loads of different genres. There's some genres which are so rich, you want an opportunity to draft them elsewhere as well. Hmm. So it, it would be doing it a disservice to um, yeah to cut these out. I mean, there's like I think when Endgame are finished and we had our final directory of like the top fifty games or whatever, that was a killer top fifty. Mm. There would be no complaints with any of those things appearing on this, and I think that's the kind of strength of the library that we're looking at. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, we, we wanted to encapsulate that. We did also want to give ourselves a bit of flexibility with how we select things because there are some genres that are just very successful on DS and some that are less successful. So um, I think the uh, the categories will reflect that. Matthew, is there anything you want to say about how you selected games for this draft? Because I feel like you and I have put a lot of effort into getting this right, into making sure we're as, you know, we're swatting up on this as much as possible. You know tons more about the DS than me. But, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. How, yeah. Go ahead. I, I, you know, I'm not joking. Like, my memory is not quite what it used to be. So there's lots of things where I'm like, oh, yeah, I did love that. This could go many different ways. I don't think I can fuck it up, but I also know this. There's, there's quite a lot of stuff I'll be sad if I don't get... There's an extremely populist version of this console, which I think would do very well mm. in in the draft. But I also think the heart picks for this particular console, my heart picks are definitely like well established through the course of this whole podcast. Yeah. So I feel like they would also resonate. I don't know if I've got many surprises up my sleeve. Like I feel like I've talked about most of the things I want to bring up. Yeah. But then we have done a hundred and whatever, however many of this podcast we've done. You know? Yeah, 
we have and you know during the best games of different year episodes so many of these got discussed in depth and right yeah so you know in, in some ways i guess it's not a retread as such but you know your canon your sort of growing canon is very much emerged it's very much emerged <laughs> over that time right. period so yeah it's it's tricky for me it's maybe a bit a bit weirder like i i did play a ton of the ds but for like 15 games that I know incredibly well, those weren't necessarily the best 15, the ones that I know really well. Right. So I did go and do a bunch more research and uncover some things and investigate some things that you like, investigate some, some things that Metacritic likes that, you know, people have brought up over the years anecdotally, that sort of thing. So I do think there is a push and pull here between how much you represent the console as a history exercise versus how much you lace this with heart picks. And I don't know. I think I think maybe my ideal console will land somewhere in the middle, you know? But mm. maybe maybe you don't agree with that and maybe heart picks are the way to go. Like I, yeah, I'm curious to see where you land with that. So Yeah, I, mm. I don't want to commit either way because <laughs> I just whatever I make, I'm going to basically tell people that that's exactly what I wanted to make. <laughs> uh, because I really really want to win this one. If I fuck this one, I mean it's really like game over for me in terms of drafts. <laughs> Well, I don't want I don't want you to stop wanting to do these either because I have so much fun doing them. So yeah, yeah, I just I I can't take the uh, <laughs> the often brutal commentary from from certain corners of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, this is like yeah, like we say, home territory for you. Whereas I feel like PS3 people expected me to win that fine, even though I think you actually we actually did have pretty much. If you'd have had one Naughty Dog game in your list, you'd have probably won that i think but um it is, yeah. what it is 360 i think me getting fable 2 is why they won the 361 and so that was like just a heart pick too far like to, for your list to be able to compete which was tough so that's yeah. that's what uh, those just a few decisions that hinge on it i think you're a very good draft competitor but you you get <laughs> nice. caught you get more caught up in the psychology of it than i do i think and mm. i just don't it doesn't phase me as much at least not since the 90s um pc gaming one i think at that point my brain broke and i just thought i have to be slightly less invested in this and instead <laughs> rely on like psychologically tormenting you as my yeah. tactic so yeah it works i guess it does yeah i'm excited to hear what you pick matthew so shall we go over the categories yes okay so at Backpage pod in the pinned tweet that will go up after this episode goes live on the friday you can vote for the winner 15 categories here i will read them once more before we get into it at the end of the episode we will recap them and then I will post a list on social media, on Twitter and our Blue Sky account at Backpage Pod on the Monday after the episode goes live. So, category one, platformer. Category two, adventure. Category three, RPG. Category four, puzzle. Five, visual novel. Six, shooter or side-scrolling game. Seven, Pokemon game. Eight, rhythm action. Nine, tactics or strategy. Ten, gimmicky touchscreen controls. Eleven, port. 12, Touch Generations game. That means a game from a very specific list of uh, titles that came under the Touch Generations marketing banner. 13, Free Pick 1. 14, Free Pick 2. 15, Wildcard. So I'll repeat those shortly, Matthew, before we get started. Any thoughts on those categories? Which ones are daft? Which ones are annoying? (laughs) There are a couple of danger ones. I almost don't want to flag them because I don't want to draw your attention to them. I know which ones I think there's a couple where there's... There's only a couple where I'd say there's like quite a clear winner. Yeah. Still a little unsure on shooter or side-scrolling game. <laughs> um, yeah, more yeah. like I can't quite figure out what would be the winner there. Yeah. Uh, I, 
Yeah. Th- that's that's my fear that I've missed something super super obvious. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so that's interesting. All right. So me and Matthew will do a coin toss to see who goes first. Matthew, do you want to do the coin toss now? Yeah, so let's do the bring up yeah. coin so, toss. So a bit more about the rules here. So basically, whoever goes first gets to decide. Whoever w- wins the coin toss decides who goes first and who goes second. The person who goes second gets two picks. Whereas, obviously, if you go first, you have the advantage of picking first. So that's how we do it. There'll be one pick, two picks, and it'll just be one pick apiece until the draft is over. So, you got okay. the coin toss up? Yes, what do you fancy? Uh, heads. Heads it is. Okay, I'm going to go second. I'm going to just read, read out the categories one more time, Matthew. Does that mean you get two picks and then we're back to one pick each? That's correct. Yes. Okay, so, category one, platformer. Two, adventure. Three, RPG. Four, puzzle. Five, visual novel. Six, shooter or side-scrolling game. Seven, Pokemon game. 8, Rhythm Action, 9, Tactics or Strategy, 10, Gimmicky Touchscreen Controls, 11, Port, 12, Touch Generations Game, 13, Free Pick 1, 14, Free Pick 2, 15, Wild Card. Matthew Castle, what are you going to pick first? I thought a lot about what I'd do if I went second and I had two picks. Yeah. So I've played out the first three picks of this quite a lot. Yeah. I have quite a good idea of two of them. (laughs) For my first pick, I'm going to go with what I think is a difficult category. Right. And get something off the board. I'm going to pick Port, and I'm going to take Chrono Trigger. Interesting. Are you all right with that? Uh, yeah, you now have to tell me why Chrono Trigger is so good, Matthew. As a, as a, as a, a well-documented Chrono Trigger fan, why don't oh, you well, uh, take it you... away? <laughs> well, it's classic, isn't it? It's... A... <laughs> Time traveling JRPG classic. Um... <laughs> Keep going. Uh... <laughs> People love it. <laughs> People do love it. People do love it. Why is this good? I mean, it's mainly good because it's not the other ports on DS. That's that's the that is the reality of this. Mm, it depends on what. It depends how much we're allowed to bend the definition of port, I would say. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I was being quite strict with myself. Okay, interesting. Well, we'll see what you say to my suggestion for this, I guess, but yeah. Yeah. What can you say about Chrono Trigger that hasn't been said a million times before? One of the most beloved JRPG stories ever, as you travel through time with a wonderful bunch of characters, with delightful music. Also just... (laughs) It's... In a long tradition of these JRPGs not always being treated uh, particularly lovingly in their ports, this is just a very good fit for the hardware. Basically unchanged, but is very well suited to it. Doesn't have the most heinous fonts of all time, which is often a criticism levelled at these. Adds a few extra little bits, but they're not really important. What fundamentally matters is it's a really rock-solid version of a great JRPG that uh, is very, very hard to, to find and play in, 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 a, in as satisfying a way. So I feel like as an, as an old classic and also as one of hopefully many JRPGs I hope to get on my, my DS, I think it's a solid pick. It is the best version of this. SNES classic, 
very late in the generation SNES game about basically uh basically a time traveling RPG. You go to different time periods and you are trying to stop essentially a time traveling villain from destroying your world in the future. And so you you go to I think five or six different time frames from like, you know, basically prehistoric times right through to a doomed far future and even the the very end of time itself where there's a mysterious old man there and just this platform floating in like the middle of nowhere it's quite spooky and um yeah you accumulate this um this vast party of uh characters designed by um toriyama the dragon ball z and uh dragon quest guy obviously like an incredibly um talented artist an important artist in the history of video games and um, japanese popular culture so yeah really really important in that respect also like quite a straightforward easy to understand combat system that depends on the amount of time that you have um different characters in your party they'll learn um organically more abilities that they can use as a, as a trio so if you have like the same trio of characters going around then they will um learn these super powerful combos that where you they basically like they perform animations that look like they're individual animations but they become more and more elaborate as they do these vast group attacks so really a great a great bunch of party members um and the story actually is really interesting the way that different uh, the world changes over time and how mm. divides sort of rise and fall how you get some of the comedy you get into where you're put on trial and things like that when you when you go back in time and just it's really it's really a, a, a i think like it's the best representation of the snes era of rpgs in the sense that you all play this and you'll think that all rpgs from the time were this good and they weren't really it was like this and ff6 and then the rest are like are more complicated or a little bit or a little bit um less easy to get into or a little bit different stylistically like there's an amazing array of um rpgs on on snes but this is like the top level the top tier highlight and in an amazing form on ds so yeah a good pick matthew Um, thanks no worries pal okay so i've got two picks um yeah interesting first of all (laughs) <laughs> this is this is why I, I struggle with this draft like i don't think there are that many categories where you are locked into just one thing there's like six or seven priority categories to me and so it's just hard right. to know which ones to lock down which ones to try and shit you up with etc i was only getting port out of the way because my other port picks were less convincing yeah i mean couldn't you argue that phoenix Wright is a port matthew because it comes from gba uh, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. yeah, so there is that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to take a game that I think is only really makes sense on DS and this has been proven when the game's been taken to other hardware and it's not been quite as successful. So for RPG, category 3, I'm going to take The World Ends With You. Good pick. Basically, uh, an RPG set in Shibuya about trendy kids who are essentially doomed. Is it counting down 7 days, Matthew? Is that right? And then something bad's going to happen. What it basically amounts to is a combat system where you control your main character on like uh on with the the touch screen and then you control your party member using the uh using the d-pad on the ds so really making the most of functionality and you're kind of customizing your characters using these like pin badges essentially and you have this game wrapped up in this beautiful tetsuya nomura like a visual style which feels like very much like him off the leash i would say like it's not like he's trying to build a fantasy universe this is like 
him creating trendy Japan, essentially, and giving you these really distinctive character designs that are extremely him. With this, like, dark anime-ish story wrapping things up and this kind of, like, the idea that you're in this sort of, like, shadow version of Shibuya and you're at the kind of, like, crossing and it just, like, very vividly and, and, and amazingly captures the setting. With this combat system that is, as I mentioned before, like, it feels like a, a relative of um, Kingdom Hearts Chains, Chain of Memories, the, the game where you, like, use cards to, like, issue commands. Really liked it at the time. Has been excavated for Switch. Has, like, an extra scenario on Switch. But I think most people would agree. In fact, most... I think everyone would pretty much agree this game is like a ds rpg through and through thoughts matthew yeah it's absolutely brilliant remember it came out of nowhere and just felt like the most exciting thing ever like just the idea of this contemporary rpg set in modern tokyo you know for the japan afar it's just a, an absolute treat hugely experimental combat system i loved the variety of badges you know i just i loved how cool the badges looked combined with you know all their mad little powers really tapped into that excitement of feverishly collecting things and wanting to see what each power did great music really weird sort of twisty twisty turny story like you know if you've um, not played this but maybe liked alice in borderlands that kind of weird sinister scenario that's playing out around a kind of contemporary tokyo this has got a lot of that energy obviously way b- before that was a thing yeah it's absolutely great this and you're right kind of terrible in every other format form yeah like i appreciate them making it possible to play on phone and and and, and, yeah, and switch it's just but... not what the game is though like you no. just have to take out so much stuff it becomes just not as good yeah, it's like it's maybe the DS cart that I cover the most, having you know, ha- having seen it like shoot up in price over the years. So, yeah, okay. Second of all, for category ten gimmicky touchscreen controls, I'm going to take GTA Chinatown Wars. Oh, okay. I thought I thought for my first fix, I thought I I got to pick games where there's nothing else like them. There's no other comparison point, and it definitely isn't with Chinatown Wars, which is ostensibly like a return to top-down GTA. In a in sort of like in a very superficial way, but also combined with using the functionality of the DS in a load of interesting ways. So I use gimmicky touchscreen controls affectionately here, like it's you know where you steal car radios, you like twist a little thing around, and um, you know you you basically like you perform little QTE actions to to do a bunch of um to like hot wiring and a bunch of stuff in this game. Like it's very nicely integrated touchscreen controls, I would say. Um, but nonetheless, I think that stands out as like a way in which it's it's very different to other GTA games that Rockstar has made, and. Yeah, I, th- I think just really showed a commitment from them to to value the handheld. Has a very addictive drug economy mini game in it. Um, has a visual style that really suited the DS. Like it's very simple, cell shaded um, DS style. It still looked nice when they put it on PSP, but they I would say they PS two'd it up for the PSP. Like it's a very much more realistic mm. style. And um, you know this was a DS game. This was made for the DS, like a, a, rock, a Rockstar game made for the DS. And I think it should be given you know treated as the special thing that it is so hence me picking it here matthew thoughts again blew us away like the amount of love that went into this particularly because it came in that slightly later years of ds where third party interest you know was definitely on the wane and to see rockstar who obviously seemed so sort of exotic and exciting and naughty on a nintendo platform making something that was so cool and the the drug economy of the game whatever you think of the rest of the game that in itself is is just brilliant like so compelling kind of controlling the stock market with sort of supply and demand yeah it's great a great pick cheers pal so that's my two picks uh not sure if i did that right to be honest but (laughs) there's a long way to go so 
What do you pick next? For gimmicky touchscreen controls. That's basically any game with touchscreen controls. I would say that any game, any game that's got notable touchscreen controls. You know, okay. like I would say okay. that, like I don't know, I, there are some games where I don't necessarily think touchscreen's relevant to the DS, um, to to the way it yeah, plays yeah, in yeah. DS. You know, but yeah, yeah. Go on. For Pokemon game. Now, how are we doing Pokemon? Are we taking whole? Are we taking pairs or just one of the pair? Just one of the pair. Ah, uh, I mean that makes it re- seeming slightly redundant. <laughs> uh, that's not true because there's one DS game that doesn't have a a pair on it. Like you can't you can't take you can't Diamond take Pearl. Well, you can't take Platinum and then wipe Diamond and Pearl off the list. I don't think. Like, I don't think that's fair. Right. Uh, oh well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do. I wouldn't do that anyway. Yeah, but like you know, I don't. There's just there's a lot of Pokemon on DS. Like I don't. I don't necessarily think. So was your thinking that you'd pick Heart Gold and therefore I couldn't pick Soul Silver? Was that your your sort of strategy? Sort of. <laughs> yeah, I guess we should have clarified that beforehand. But okay, that's it, all right. That's yeah, fine. Well, that uh, just means I don't have to worry about it for the time being. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. That's not. A, that's not a high. A high. Obviously, um, you'll be picking Pokemon Conquest anyway, Matthew. The Dynasty yes. Warriors tie up. Yeah. <laughs> Hmm. I, there's three things I think you've got floating through your brain right now, and I wonder if I wonder which one you'll do. I know how he thinks, listeners. <laughs> no, I think. <laughs> yeah, there's you see, there's quite a lot of things where there are like sequels, which mean you kind of have a backup. Yeah, that is true. It's going to take up be a while till the tension goes out of this one. To be honest. Yeah, I've got to take a Castle Classic off the board. Yeah. Touch Generations. I'm going to take Hotel Dusk. Yeah. Um, which a lot of people might know is one of the touch generation games, which you may associate with more like Nintendogs or Picross or, you know, that brain training. Um, but I have to have Hotel Dusk on there, the tale of Carl Hyde investigating a sort of twins a twin peaksy strange motel where all the guests seem to be harbouring secrets and you mosey around absorbing the immaculate vibes, trying not to get kicked out of the hotel by asking too many prying questions. Made by Sing, who were a um, company who made a lot of games for DS that lent very hard into the sort of specificity of the DS hardware with like gimmicky puzzles and whatnot, but most notably this game is played holding the DS on its side like you're reading a book with um, kind of touchscreen controls to sort of navigate this 3D version of the world and these beautiful illustrative uh, style which kind of looks a little bit like the Take On Me music video. One of my favourite, favourite games for sure. I'm very pleased it's it's counted amongst touch generations so I can have it here. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I played this the first time today, Matthew. Right. I this got... is where you're like, it sucks. <laughs> It's quite boring and slow, I think. But that's that's code word for immaculate vibes. <laughs> the vibes. That's are what good. we mean when we say immaculate vibes. <laughs> it means boring as shit, but I like it. <laughs> so it's like really languid and has it's, it controls quite strangely no, because no, you don't do this to me. Don't do this to me. <laughs> see, so you have to so you navigate through a three D environment, but it has this lovely, um, like you say, take on me style art, two D art style on top of it. It's much more lavish than you know, like other visual novels are on DS, I would say. Like it feels like a, you know, a much bigger operation. And then you'll go to a space and then you'll do basically point and click stuff looking at a certain area of a certain room. The biggest crime this commits is it doesn't give you a skip text function until you finish the game. So you're very slowly watching like slightly bad hangs just like talk to you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> they are a little bit like they're uh, certainly everyone I've met in chapter one I consider a bad. Everyone hang. is like very tired looking. It's got it's got big like editors leaving future building <laughs> in an evening energy. So I'm Just... glad to see that your personal recollections are not being conflated with the game itself in any way, Matthew. That's <laughs> also uh... responsible for one of the worst reviews I ever wrote. Um... <laughs> Oh yeah, we did, we read that out, didn't we? On the, uh, yeah. I thought that was pretty good in the end. Actually, I was quite. Uh, <laughs> I thought you you were much better at the high concept the thing than than me with my Nico Bellic um, GTA Four diary. Uh, so yeah, I, it's like it's it is interesting. You have this room that can grant wishes in this hotel, and you have this dude who's like looking into the mystery of what happened to to some guy he's on the trail of his former partner. Is that right, Matthew? When he used yeah. to be a cop. Um, so yeah, and then. Yeah, you have like lots of like languid discussions of characters. Stop and then, saying languid. And then you have <laughs> it's true though. And then you have <laughs> some quite good puzzles that use the touch screen in some cool ways. And then I think it punctuates each chapter with you basically like interrogating a character. Is that right, Matthew? And that's how it kind of is structured. Um, yeah, and it asks you kind of what how, it does like a little quiz. Yeah, about, like what you saw and did. I can see why you've coveted this as a castle classic. As soon as you boot the game you're like and you hear the music and you see the presentation and obviously you have to hold the the ds sideways you're like yeah this is peak matt castle um i don't say bullshit because it i think it is oh, like this, this, no this no is no tough i i just i think this image of you gleefully waiting for me to walk into the hotel dust trap no so that you could announce it that you thought it was languid <laughs> well i don't think it's bad i just think I, I think like sing games are just a little bit like you either completely jam with the vibe or maybe you just like maybe they're just they don't move you and i th- definitely think this is better than another code which i've also played on ds i thought another code was uh, that was actually like quite boring i thought um <laughs> this is this is better and this, oh, this is, is tough uh, so yeah but i'm not saying it's bad i'm not saying it's bad but i think that it's like if you play let's say another a big uh visual novel series on ds then and you go into this thinking it might be a same the same pace to it it's not it's like it takes no, its time it's, it's it's very much it's it's very much its own thing yeah this is this is uh this is not how i expected <laughs> oh. this conversation to go are we still pals <laughs> is that okay uh, i mean it's it's like quite a key text for me <laughs> I'll, I'll keep playing it i did like i did like it more than more it's, I it's like it. you just said you don't like 10 percent of me <laughs> It's like I've just said, I don't like Catherine, basically. It's the- yeah, basically. <laughs> Catherine and Hotel Dusk are both equal parts of my life. <laughs> oh, I look forward to her hearing this and uh, what she makes of that. Uh, and the, you dissing her DS decals. That was oh, yeah. uncalled for. A, who, whoever wins this draft, I definitely lose. Uh, <laughs> yeah, tough, tough. Tough episode for Catherine. Okay, so yeah, I don't think it's a. I think it's a good pick. Like everyone expects you to pick this, so it makes sense. Fair enough, Matthew. Anything else to add on that one before we move on? No, just that it's you know, you know that it's good. Everyone, <laughs> <laughs> covet it, vote for it. People love it. Brackets in our. I Discord. love it. Yeah, Matthew loves it. Um, okay, fair enough. Okay then. So my next pick then for my visual novel, we're going to take Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. Mm-hmm. So, again, I think we we discussed this with the Capcom draft. Like, you can pick another entry in the series, but it doesn't really make sense to take one without another, I would say. And yeah. this is, in a lot of ways, uh, other than Apollo Justice, which was built specifically for DS, this is the 
the high point of like porting the GBA games to DS, but also adding some kind of like um, DS functionality. So obviously you have inventory management. You can shout into the microphone um, when uh, you're, you're um, in the middle of the court cases, and then obviously they added the um, the fifth case as well, which required you to use the uh, the full full suite of DS functionality for fingerprints and uh, other bits and pieces. So. They did like make a solid effort to put it on um, on DS, and you wouldn't necessarily think it's a GBA game from playing it. But it was a massive moment for me to pick this game up. Like I just was, you know, probably I was into my peak Capcom bullshit phase. You know, I was uh, the most excited man in the world about Akami and God Hand, and then I I got wind of the DS series that was about where you got to play as a lawyer and. I would even go as far to say my intrigue about this game from reading about it was the reason I bought a DS Lite. I just had to see what the deal was. So really excited to pick this up. Picked it up on day one when I got my DS Lite with another game that may or may not come up. Um, definitely talked about that before on the podcast, but maybe Matthew's forgotten. So um, yeah, so Phoenix Wright is turning. I think this is the only one it makes sense to pick in this draft. To pick another one by itself would be a bit odd. Um, so salt in the earth so nothing else can grow in its way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit. I'm su- I mean, I'm surprised you picked uh, Hotel Dusk before you picked this, actually, because I think the like because I didn't know you hated Hotel Dusk. I thought you were going to try and get it to wound me, and yeah, yeah, yeah a classic castle mistake. <laughs> I played another game you recommended on DS and fucking adored. So that's the one I'm going to try and take. I wonder if you you know which one it, one, one I'm thinking of, but I couldn't believe how good it was. The the one I'm the one I'm kind of alluding to. So no. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if you know which one I mean. No, um, I don't. No, I'm guessing. <laughs> it's something bad. But you, it's you're not... happening again. <laughs> you're not behind, though. We're still so early on in this draft. We have a long way to go. But Phoenix Wright's attorney, like, it just, you know, so memorably sets up this amazing universe of bizarro characters with really memorable cases. As ever, I stand by my stance that they killed off Mia Faye too early. She fucking ruled. Uh, they should have kept her around. But hey, you know, hey ho, uh, Maya Faye, perfectly fine too. And uh, yeah, I just, yeah, just all of the cases here really kind of like stuck in the memory. I think they just did a, a great, a great job of giving it that kind of like anime um, light comedic touch combined with genuine darkness under the surface when you actually like, you know, there are, there is someone who's been killed here and the stakes are real. So always love that mix of Phoenix Wright. And I think this is, like I say, the one to pick. So uh, yep. Um, any thoughts there, Matthew? I mean, I obviously love Phoenix Wright. I've talked about it endlessly on episodes. I also sort of agree that it'd be weird to pick part three because you need part one and part two. And yeah, yeah, fair. I thought it's funny as I was putting together this list, I had this memory of something going wrong with Phoenix Wright before, and I thought, well, that's not right <laughs> because we've never done a draft. And then I forgot that we did the Capcom one. Yeah, we did this exact thing like two months ago. It's all just a little bit of history repeating. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay. It's your pick again, Matthew. I wonder if you'll pick. I know exactly what I need next, but will you take it first? Let's find out. I have no idea. I have no idea. (laughs) I feel like I'm panicking to try and just take something. Take something precious. Take something precious. Oh, no. oh, God. <laughs> I hate drafting so much. <laughs> it's so stressful. Oh, I've done it. I've broken him. That's I've you got. Have broken I've him. got a good podcast content. We're only on pick four. Come on, what pick three for you. For f- for free pick, I'm taking Ghost Trick. Oh, okay, interesting. Fuck it, isn't it? Okay, God damn no, it. That wasn't it. I've not played that, and I didn't want to like. I didn't want to play that one for 10 minutes and then try and bluff my way through it. So that's all yours, pal. 
I wanted it on there anyway. I did want it. It's uh, obviously what Shutakumi did after Ace Attorney, which is probably exactly what I said when I picked it in the Capcom draft. Uh, major deja vu from this whole series of events. <laughs> obviously, it has just been remade and re-released in HD on other platforms. I still think its natural home is the DS. I think the technical feat of its very distinctive animation style had way more of a wow factor on DS and really didn't need to be any better than it was on DS. You know, you can do an HD version of it, but actually it's like not as impressive as, as other games on those platforms. So a perfect DS game, one of the greatest bits of narrative design of all time as you play a ghost uh, trying to investigate his own death over the course of a night on a journey which takes him through the lives of many other people often themselves in a moment of death which he then has to write by possessing and affecting physical objects in the environment it's the reverse final destination can you use the detritus of a room to save someone's life instead of kill them that's a great hook i actually think the way it builds and the momentum and the story it weaves over the course of this one night how it brings it all together i think is just an an absolute triumph one of the best written games of all time maybe lacking the kind of the obvious kind of like character and warmth of ace attorney i think shu takumi has made two masterpieces and this this is the other one yeah so fair fair play matthew this is you know something again that it feels like when they ported it i was like i was very grateful that they ported it but like you i was sort of like well these games just shu takumi and the ds they were just you know they're born for each other really so uh yeah mm. it's uh yeah I, I that makes sense interesting you used it on free pick and not in like i don't know puzzle or something i mean you know i guess there was yeah i don't i i don't know i don't know if it technically classifies as a puzzle personally but okay all right fair enough well look it's a good pick nonetheless so uh yeah it's not what i was thinking of but still a good no pick. obviously not which is <laughs> what is this what i've oh, well don't be something big well okay so for category two adventure i'm going to take the legend of zelda spirit tracks because oh. i think that there just seem to be too many caveats for phantom hourglass to pick that right and i played a bunch of spirit tracks this weekend and found it delightful i think it's just a very nice it's a very gentle zelda but it's a very good version of a gentle zelda i think so essentially you are basically doing a zelda style zelda style dungeons and using a, a rad little train to get around and um the all the mechanics of zelda have been translated very nicely onto the touch screen and they've kept the they kept the wind waker art style so the um the 3d looks super good i think like basically the plot of this is that zelda is a zelda is a ghost matthew and yeah, that's right yeah and then like there's like there's basically like a, a a war with spirits going on and then you're kind of like um pootling around with uh with ghost zelda and um but the really i think it's just a game about like it wouldn't it be rad to put link in a nice little train and then and then it yes. kind of goes along going toot toot while you're doing a lot of trad zelda dungeons um that aren't too challenging but um from what i the the two or three hours i played matthew seemed like it seemed like perfectly solid zeldering to me um thoughts on this pick yeah i mean i love it i also love phantom hourglass it probably will appear in my list i'd imagine uh, and I, I i don't feel bad about that <laughs> Do I love Spirit Tracks more? Even if I did, I wouldn't admit to it. But drafting, 
This is a competitive business. <laughs> okay, good. You've got to pick a side, boats or trains. Everyone knows boats are cooler, right? <laughs> Even if the game is uh, a bit worse. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just, I think it just like, the consensus seemed to be that this corrected a lot of the flaws that Phantom Hourglass had, but some people did seem to prefer Phantom Hourglass more, Matthew. They preferred the having the overworld. They're a load of babies. And I hope they're not amongst our voters <laughs> who, uh, who don't like the central dungeon, but... You know, if you don't like the Sendra Dungeon, I don't want you voting for my draft anyway. Okay, oh, this is going great, this episode. Okay, <laughs> what's your next pick, Matthew? My next pick, depends how loose we are with the category of uh, with the <laughs> adventure as a term. Well, are you gonna, how far are you going to stretch it? Like, uh, well, like, an, like, like an action adventure? Uh, well, are you, what, like Castlevania? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, but... Maybe I'll need to stretch another genre later on. So oh, so this is the thing. Do I, do I not take your graciousness well, now, so I don't have to be gracious to you later? Well, Castlevania fits into, I would argue, platformer, adventure, and side-scrolling game. So you've got three different areas you can slot that in, as well as the free picks. You know. Oh, so you'd class? Okay, but you know what? I'm going to take it in side-scrolling then, because my pick for that is kind of rank. <laughs> I'm going to take, I'm going to take Castlevania: Dawn of Sorrow as a oh, side-scroller. Fuck. Yeah. Okay. Bit of a tricky one because lots of people really like the last one too, Order of Ecclesias, Ecclesia. Yeah. I think Dawn of Sorrow is the only Castlevania game in town for my money on DS for the very basic bitch reason of it has a massive castle that you explore, which is like the core ingredient of these things. Beautifully animated, tons of atmosphere, set slightly in the future, but that doesn't really matter because you eventually shift into this castle, killing all these monsters, collecting all these powers from the monsters, so you've got a very versatile action system at the heart of it. I think of probably all the games since Symphony of the Night, I think this is the one which sort of sold me on the location and the changing location and the sense of, like, pace and an adventure through that castle and the danger of moving into new locales and seeing what was around the next corner like at the heart of castlevania is that fantasy of go and kill an evil thing that lives at the top of a castle it really really satisfies that for me i think the other castlevanias on ds are all a little bit flawed portrait of ruin use this portrait system to basically whisk you to sort of smaller self-contained areas which don't really satisfy that kind of exploration angle and Order of Ecclesiast has got a lot of like just long flats that you grind through. Not a lot of platforming. The actual exploring, much worse uh, than this one. This is the stuff. It's got some slightly crappy DS touchscreen stuff added to it, which I don't think is that important. But um, what I like most about booting this up over the weekend, actually, is one of the things it does do is when you create a file on it, you write your signature rather than type it in. Yeah. So it's still got my scrawl from like whatever, 16, 17 years ago. Yeah. Um, and and my brother's scrawl as well. And it was like a nice little time capsule, that. <laughs> yeah, because I bought a second-hand copy of this, a uh, legitimate one, um, for those uh, collectors out there who might be curious. I um, It just said like Richard in like a really nice like <laughs> bit of writing. And then my sure, thought... It didn't say Richter. <laughs> and then my... Someone really leaning into it. <laughs> And then my four-year-old sort of like um, Samuel just like just like splayed on there and like basically felt tip pen by comparison. So yeah, um, this is good. And I it's interesting because it seemed to be like a split, Matthew, in the player base between people liking this one and people liking Order of Ecclesia um, more. So yeah, it, it, and like I, I I think more people have a relationship with this one, and that's why it came out in the top in the voting. But maybe some of the real Castlevania heads prefer Order of Ecclesia. That seemed to be the vibe I got from yeah, how these that, two. 
I think Ecclesia is like diff, like harder and got maybe like sort of like deeper combat shenanigans the way that you can kind of reshape that character. Right. But I I honestly think that you need a big castle to explore. Like that's that's a key part of it, and without that, something is lost. Fair enough. Okay. Well, look, it's a, it's a good pick because I was going to pick it for platformer, so that makes sense. Um, platformer is a fucking rotten category, actually. <laughs> um, From okay. the fucking inventors of the genre. Yeah, it's a weird well, one. Just... The, the masters of it, anyway. Yeah, a bit of a strange one. Okay, next up then. For category nine, tactics or strategy, I'm going to take the incredible... Might and Magic Clash of Heroes. Ah, oh, god damn it. Now, there are other games you can pick for that category, including my beloved Civilization Revolution. However, <laughs> this game is fucking incredible. Like, I've been playing it this weekend, and I was aware it had this reputation, but I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. Like, match three, kind of like turn-based game. I just couldn't quite... It sounded like DS core as hell in my head and just maybe a bit too casual. And then I played it, and I was like, this is like fucking gold. This is so oh, good. good. This oh, is good. <laughs> this is the inverse of my Hotel Dusk experience, Matthew. Oh, great. I thought you'd then played that. I was like, oh, there's no, there's no way he'll take that. Like, <laughs> he, he, he's never played it before. I've told him about it and he's never been interested in it. <laughs> yeah, and I just wasn't bothered. But I bought it after like, I don't know what, 2008 draft or whatever it was that we talked about it. But not draft, sorry. The best games of that year. And yeah, I just booted up, thought, oh, I'll just give it a go. And then it has a really good story mode where it essentially teaches you the mechanics. Basically, like you're, you have like a bunch of rows of units, and then you have to like match three with the different types of units to build these squads, which will then, that will essentially then slot them into the attack order. So they're like, in one turn, they'll attack the other side. And basically, you have a health bar, like an overall health bar. They have an overall health bar. Your goal is to like knock the bunch of like dudes out of the way and then like cause direct damage to the health bar so it's a mixture of strategy and puzzle and it's got so much depth to it because there are basically all of these different factions who have like different abilities like you might be able to stick a wall in front directly in front of your health bar to protect you from direct damage you might perform like a comet attack that blasts a load of like fire onto the screen and takes out a bunch of units that are in the way and then you have like these more elaborate hero style units where you essentially have to like burn your basic dudes in order to power them up then when they get Mm. to the front of the queue they'll just they'll just completely mash through the forces and do a load of damage and like the campaign's really good right but I ended up getting to um, skipping to the quick battles against the AI because that's where the real shit is. That's where it gets like <laughs> the screen is full of units, and you're like, I'll remove, I'll remove this character from the screen to create three here. Then I'll remove this character to create three here. I'll match these like um, these uh, two sets of three up behind, and like so you've got six in a row of the same same color and same unit, and then they'll form like a, a more powerful version of that unit. Just like loads of loads of like versatility in how you can sort of like build an attack plan, and then you. Sl- slowly watch it all just like pop off and that health come off and it's so fucking good it's like it's like just like rpg chess or something it's fucking it's magic i promise you it's so good and like this i think i would almost go as far to say this is the best game i've drafted so far like this is so good and i can see why it's got the reputation it has so Mm. while it might not be the most obvious ds pick i promise you the listener this is really fucking good thoughts matthew yeah i mean i obviously agree with all that it's one of the best ds games it's one of my favorite games ever um (laughs) like just a, a, a a genius fusion of the strategic elements and the match three elements 
there's nothing else like it you know it's genuinely a true original and it just jumps off the screen the second you start playing it you know for all the hd versions they've made just the art style everything fits the ds perfectly this this is what it was made for this is where it truly belongs Mm, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna smear it in the name (laughs) of uh, draft play obviously I can't do that. I'm on record as picking this as one of my games of the year. <laughs> it is. It's like actually like the one of the most beautiful third party games as well. It's a Ubisoft game, and it's like a gorgeous pixel art. Like it's really, really nice looking. So I agree. I agree. It makes sense on yeah. DS more than anywhere else. So there you go, Matthew. Um, you weren't expecting that one. That was the one. That was the one where I was like, oh my god, I can't believe how good this is. And it has multiplayer. I, I really want us to play multiplayer of this. I think we could have a great time. But yeah, we're not we're never playing multiplayer again after this draft. <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> not okay. You anymore. <laughs> okay, it's your pick again. Boo. <laughs> Going great so far, this. This is for puzzle. For puzzle, I'm gonna take Professor Layton and the Lost Future. Mm-hmm. Now I realise Professor Layton is is probably still open for the other iterations. It's not like quite like Ace Attorney, where if you take the first one, the story doesn't make any sense. I'd say the Professor Layton's being sort of you know as they're self-contained, that doesn't really hold up. But Lost Future is definitely the best one in terms of story. Like it actually hits hard. Professor Layton and Luke go into a time machine and travel to uh, the future and discover a. Um, a different uh, London in there and have to sort of work out the mystery of this this alternate city. Absolutely preposterous twist, but there's also a sort of through line about a piece of Professor Layton's past, which I think is actually genuinely affecting. Like this is, I'm not going to say it's like hugely emotionally charged, but it's, it's quite a touching story. It's of, of all the stories they do in these games, this is the one that lands, lands the best. Obviously, that aside, this is... The classic latent formula of you're going through quite a basic point-and-click adventure, taking on lots of logic puzzles. Each one is beautifully presented as its own mini-game, often with bespoke interface mechanics input. Level 5 just did a really nice job of it. You know, considering this was aimed at the, the more casual gamer, I think it still sort of satisfies that, the kind of core in terms of its like mystery credentials its production values it's almost sort of steampunky aesthetic i think there's a, a lot to speak to everyone here um this one had some good good mini game extras just the whole package the series was definitely like downhill after this one specters call forwards um they never they never quite found their groove again yeah i think you've got to have professor layton on here and yeah from what i could tell this seemed to be the one with the consensus matthew that it's the the best one um so it would it would appear to be a good pick based on that so yep um obviously hugely important series to the ds you know again something my dad got into which was very rare for any games to like you know sort of permeate his bubble and obviously very different to the saboteur so um you know significant in that sense but uh oh, it's just yeah. a treat like having one of these every year you could kind of sit on it to keep it as a as a little christmas game just a real reliable treat you know it was you knew it was going to have those um level five production values and well just just be very well put together a very a very very happy time um covering these on endgamer yeah, or well, only only a yearly treat because it took so bloody long to localize them over here. But yeah, um, yeah. just because I bought, I, I this is one of the games I bought in North America in um, I think like six months before it came out here. Like I was on a trip, a, a press trip, and I just picked it up for like twenty quid or something like that. And uh, yet was like, oh yeah, this is going to be huge. And actually, like I will say, of all the games of this profile on DS, 
in terms of like crossover into the quote unquote casual audience it was it's actually good on top of that you know like it's not just right, yeah it's not just I, I wouldn't say brain training is a good game it was just like it was you know a nicely made version of something quite gimmicky and this but these were actually actual good games so um yeah deserve yeah. success brain training was just so clean and boring you know yeah, it was yeah it was just yeah no appeal to me um okay good pick matthew right then is it time no it's not it's not time for that yet um it's i think it's <laughs> so sinister <laughs> okay let's take category eight rhythm action i'm gonna take osu tatake oendan uh, oendan mm. i will be called referring to it from now on so okay i have a huge relationship with elite b agents which was the western version of this game it's the same same basically basic setup basically it's like some sort of like music cops who turn up to some situations to try and resolve them with music by helping someone out um, and defeating some kind of like evil force whether it's like cynicism or a bad boss or any number of things and you basically it's basically like a drum tapping game you tap the bottom screen of the ds in time to the music and for elite b agents they did lots of cover versions of very obvious western songs that were not very appealing i would say um but nonetheless i played the absolute ton of it i mastered it i got did all three of the difficulty settings so like you know i i I got incredibly good at it never played the original which was like you know it launched in 2005 it's an early ds game but this was like the the banner import game for ds wasn't it matthew this was the game that everyone was like you know they heard mm-hmm. about it and they had to check it out and they had to get it from i don't know play asia or wherever else you imported games at the time uh Lixang, was that one of them i can't remember but yeah we, yes. we were big we, we were play asia always on endgamer had so many bits of tats that came free with those games yeah absolutely so you know like the the ds import scene was like a, a real and exciting thing and it was for psp as well it was like a, a big part of the dna of these consoles because the ds was region free you know much like the game boy was but it's like a, it was just a great a great choice because it meant you could go and hoover up this interesting stuff and the difference between this game and elite b agents is this game just uses you know like um, japanese pop music essentially and that music is fucking incredible i played it this weekend for the first time and i couldn't believe the difference it made to like hear music like what what feels to you as a player like original music because you're not familiar with this music with this game that's actually a perfect fit it's much better than fucking highway star and loads of dad music that no one likes in elite b agents like it's like it's it's the perfect mix of game type great music great theme fantastic like presentation just this is like i inis or inis i don't even pronounce that matthew but hugely important on ds and i'm gonna bet that even though there are games like this you can play on there are other games as a sequel there is elite b agents this is the one i'm gonna bank on people having the most relationship with matthew thoughts yeah i mean it's it's a it's a great pick um i may yet pick its sequel um simply for the same on the same grounds as everything you've just laid out I don't think it is just the sort of Japanophile in me that thinks the soundtrack to this is just so much better than Elite Beat Agents kind of covers. Maybe it's because I'm more familiar with the music in Elite Beat Agents that, you know, you can sort of see the kind of covers aren't, aren't quite as good. Just the attitude and style of this, you know, the kind of the, the design of their little kind of cheer squad, just it, you, you can tell this is like the authentic vision of the game and, and that that you know the elite beat agents has been slightly tinkered with in a in a not so good way yeah and it's it's absolutely classic i have got other rhythm games that i might yet pick 
yeah and uh you know there's there's some a few others that i've i've had like uh yeah i've been scouting out as well so yeah okay what's the next pick matthew my next pick for rpg mm-hmm. i get to take marion luigi bowser's inside story interesting yes it does count yep it does <laughs> technically <laughs> it's definitely at the fluffier end of the rpg scale based on you know there's there's definitely some more hardcore things you could pick for this genre i think this is an absolutely amazing game i really really went to bat for it on Endgamer. um it is the continuation of the mario and luigi series which is kind of like uh, you know a sort of sibling to paper mario in that it takes some of the kind of combat mechanics like extra button cues to kind of give attacks a bit more oomph um but obviously has the kind of mario and luigi gimmick in that there's the pair of them um it's kind of almost more of a kind of puzzle rpg in that a lot of the enemy types it's about matching the right attack to them so using a kind of hammer on a spiky enemy rather than jumping on them say and you know little gimmicks like that um the big sort of change in this one is that uh, half the game is played as Mario and Luigi, the other half is playing as Bowser. He inhales Mario and Luigi in the opening stretch, and they then explore his insides. It's kind of like a quite rudimentary 2D kind of platform. It's still an RPG in there, while Bowser kind of stomps around the overworld and goes on mad adventures. Um, the two of them are kind of working in tandem, like in order to kind of help Bowser sort of survive. They're kind of powering up his body inside, so they go and like you know do mad stuff in his knees if they need him to jump further or whatever. It's that it's that kind of like cartoon logic, um, uh, leading up to these set pieces where Bowser basically turns into a sort of, turns into like a kind of Godzilla style kind of monster and fights these giant uh, castles where you shift the DS onto its side and do this sort of side scroller where Bowser's on one screen, the castle's on the other because they're too high for the the typical rotation of the DS. Uh, and the two of them kind of have these these huge slugging matches. And they're basically quick time events, but they're properly spectacular. Really gorgeous 2D animation absolute lashings of humor i mean i know i always joke about the psychology of the of the goomba with these games um but this one is the game which is like what is bowser about and what's it like to be bowser and let's have a think about bowser and not in a very complicated way but you know he's he's a good hang and marion luigi after two games i think we were pretty familiar with their their style of rpg so actually having them doing a little less inside bowser i think is a very sort of smart solution to that um that's just brilliant absolutely brilliant game yeah it's uh yeah it's you know like i remember this being better received than partners in time which was the game before this right and yeah, that was just a bit very fiddly puzzles where you were controlling four characters at once and just a, li- a little bit of a bad hang is it fair to say though matthew despite the very novel premise that superstar saga is still very much held up as the best one of these games i've got a little bit of a Paper Mario Thousand Year Door thing going on with Superstar Saga. <laughs> I think what people really like about that game is obviously like it hit at a particular time. It was the first time anyone had seen this particular formula 
and it had Fawful with all his like hilarious syntax mangling internet meme humor. I actually find that very, very tiring now. This game is much better than Superstar Saga and it, it actually holds up as well. I know there'll be some people who are like, ugh, and like roll their eyes at it, but I've gone back to Superstar Saga and it just doesn't hold up as well. Like this is a more imaginative, bigger set piece is much more exciting. It's a better game. Okay. Fair enough. Well, look, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fight you on that because I've um, done enough like torching of the Castle Roberts partnership. That's with the Hotel all right. That's all right. Like no, that's the fine. thing is, most people will listen to that and just, just believe me. I know it will really upset one person on our Discord, <laughs> and he's just gonna have to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good stuff. All right, Matthew. So my next pick. Actually, should we recap where we are so far? Um, oh God, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> No, we can, yes. Okay, do you want to read your, yours first? For RPG, I've got Marion Luigi's Bowser's Inside Story. For Puzzle, I've got Professor Layton and the Lost Future. For Shooter or Side-Scrolling Game, I've got Castlevania Dawn of Sorrow. For Port, I've got Chrono Trigger. For Touch Generations, I've got the much maligned Hotel Dusk. <laughs> and for Free Big One, I've got Ghost Trick. Nice, that's pretty good. Pretty good selection. To be I honest. would normally be over the moon by that. that <laughs> the hotel dusk is like really taking the wind out of the sails. <laughs> Sorry about that, pal. Okay, you've done a number on me. I thought it was impossible. I um, thought there's no nothing can get in my way. <laughs> okay, for adventure, I've got the Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks. For RPG, I've got The World Ends with You. For visual novel, I've got Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. Um, for um, a rhythm action, I've got a Wenden. I'm not going to repeat out the full name again, but you know what I'm talking about. For tactics or strategy, I've got Might and Magic, Clash of Heroes. And for gimmicky touchscreen controls, I've got GTA Chinatown Wars. So, yeah, it's all popping off, lads. Okay, my next pick then. Category 12, Touch Generations game, and I'm going to take Rhythm Heaven. That maybe limits your options slightly more for rhythm action. But I was looking at this list of games, and it's quite a grab bag of stuff. There's a lot of, like... I don't know, Art Academy, those kind of like level of like, you know, six out of ten basically You fodder. hate art. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> you, hey, listeners, you want to vote for a guy that fucking hates art? A Philistine. <laughs> I don't know if that like, that DS cart that's just like, yeah, that, that DS cart that's just a hundred books is also in this collection. <laughs> I've got I've got a copy of that. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So yeah, again, um, I've got a, a war on literature and art from Samuel Roberts here. Rhythm Heaven, played this a bunch this weekend for the first time. Actually quite hard for a game that was advertised to a, a wide audience. Um, mm. Essentially just like, uh, 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 basically uh, uh, tap the screen, flick the screen in, in time with some, some novel thing that's happening on screen, whether you're part of a choir or... <laughs> Or you're in a factory or those kind of like that sort of thing if you've played these games before you're basically confronted with surrealist like imagery. alien explaining this game well it's like it's actually quite hard to explain but it's basically like a bunch of surreal imagery and then you just have to like learn what the the thing you're you're timing your flicks to is and then just like play <laughs> yeah, from there yeah that is true <laughs> yeah so it's like it's simple simple to play but like a incredibly high skill ceiling and quite tricky from the start but like once you get into it you really get into it and it is like it does have you know an infusion of nintendo weirdness that makes it very distinctive and yeah this was this game was i think and again matthew this was a little bit of an import hit before it came out here like i feel like it maybe popped off elsewhere before it came here but you know either way just like a, a really pivotal um rhythm action game on the on the ds so i feel pretty good tick that and a wendon i've got those those genres ticked off really nicely here um thoughts matthew it's actually the iteration of the series i don't like Okay, interesting. And I'm, I'm not just saying that to be petty, <laughs> uh, because this is in Touch Generations, home to the languid Hotel Dusk. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
the stylish controls remove the precision of the buttons of the GBA version and the Wii version, which is where I think this game really comes alive. I, I, I think the difficulty comes from a slightly imprecise input. That is mm. my take. I don't actually think that's unfair criticism. Every, ah, say, yes, yes. One in every thirty <laughs> flicks, you maybe think that should have gone through but didn't. And there's that's a, too much. That's too many. <laughs> there's a tiny bit of that, but you do get used to how sensitive the screen is. I would say, and you you are able to navigate yeah. that as a player. But yeah, um, I still think like uh, I don't know between those two, I feel like I've got rhythm action sewn up. But uh, yeah, what's your next pick, Matthew? We shall see. <laughs> Seems that someone's forgotten about Electroplankton. <laughs> <laughs> and Guitar Hero on tour. Um, platformer. Yep. You know what? Let's go. Let's go basic, bitch. Oh, dear. New Super Mario Brothers. Fair enough. It's what I had for this category, too. It's the beginning of a series which I th- think people like quickly ran out of love for. When 3D Mario is doing just the crazy, imaginative just explosion of brilliance that it's doing constantly the idea that 2d mario which used to be you know the definitive 2d platforming series played it so safe like this is quite a conservative mario game you know it it plays a lot like my first mario uh it takes a lot of the you know the iconography of the games but doesn't have the same sort of spirit of mischief or difficulty you know i don't want to say it's easy so it's 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 not as good but there is a little bit of that with this one you know it feels like mario made for the touch generations but within that it is elegantly made it does feel nice to play it's not a it's not a bad or broken game in any way i also think it's quite a fun package because on top of the platforming game campaign itself you have some quite fun multiplayer modes i actually think the mini games in this which were repeated from the super mario 64 port but with more multiplayer functionality in this are like legitimately good you know some of them are like good mario party games and i've had a lot of wireless fun playing these uh, playing this particular game with pals at the time i'm not head over heels in love with this particular series or this particular strand of mario i hope that they get me more invested with super mario wonder which everyone's saying has kind of got a bit of that spark again but of all of them it's a, a beautifully made if unimaginative mario and i'm okay with that in platformer there are there are more esoteric things i could have put in here that i i also do like maybe like a little bit more but also i don't want a scenario where brand mario is up against fucking dk jungle climber or something (laughs) you know like just like it just the real heads might know but how many real heads are actually voting come on well it's well yeah that's the thing it's like it's you know this is ds as fuck really this uh, this game so even though i think yeah most people would agree it's kind of like it's a mediocre strand of Mario games that starts here. It was nonetheless a success for a reason. It was also very beautiful looking. One of those games that has like 3D visuals for the DS, but actually makes sense. You know, it's not, it doesn't feel compromised um, in the way it's presented. It's actually a perfect fit for it. So yeah, I think that makes sense, Matthew, even though it's hard to drum up enthusiasm for it. I appreciate your effort nonetheless. Um, I, I genuinely, the mini game where you have to quickly sort uh, pink bombs from black bombs is like a legit thriller <laughs> <laughs> okay remember that uh, when you cast your vote i appreciate you going uh trying your best scraping the barrel hard for this one <laughs> oh, <I'm scraping laughs> the barrel. no i'm That's joking at the top of the barrel i'm only joking um okay fair enough my next pick then let's get another super obvious one off the board shall we category 13 free pick one i'm going to take mario kart ds one of the yes. best games on the system 
um absolutely phenomenal uh, incredible party game i play this more than any other game um everything about it is great apart from baby park <laughs> which is as egregious as ever but you know it's the first time they did that 3d visual style for the ds they you know they tried the um the snes aesthetic on gba and i think we can all agree that it didn't it didn't work quite as nicely we'd all been tre- treated by you know mario kart 64 and double dash and we wanted to see that something approximating that style on ds um and and we got it it's like a, a really nice looking game has a bunch of like new tracks combined with a bunch of old tracks so i feels like a you know a lot a lot of like what sort of like what is great about modern mario kart starts here the sort of modern widespread mainstream obsession with mario kart feels like it it kicks into another gear with this one matthew it's just such a monster seller on ds and it's actually good unlike the um the wii one which i think we've agreed before was not was not a very good game yeah um this is like yeah this is you know casual audiences liked this but it was also a good mario kart game at the same time and a phenomenal multiplayer experience to boot thoughts matthew i'm not gonna slag off mario kart obviously that would be a mad thing to do not mario kart ds i think you're right like establishes the template for what mario kart is after this point mm-hmm. with the kind of the collection of the new tracks the retro tracks the multiplayer was really impressive just to see this eight player game running at like 60 frames on the ds super super slick even though playing online was like fucking hell because everyone <laughs> was just sort of snaking around all over the place like if you ever came to this it was just a bleak experience playing with randoms that's about as as best an attack i can make on mario kart ds <laughs> obviously a good game is it as good as the port of diddy kong racing <laughs> <laughs> you decide you the listeners will decide i mean the only thing yeah I- nah it's fine yeah it's good <laughs> you weren't gonna go for the angle of but why would you play this one when you could play a more modern I, one? I mean, that, that well, is that, a common refrain. Doesn't in... that apply to your the game you just picked? Also, you know, why would you pick? Why would you play New Super Mario Bros. on DS now? You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. So uh, that I that's I that... just think if we did a blind taste test and we got a load of a load <laughs> of kids in a room, and we were like, "You want to play Mario Kart Deluxe on Switch?" <laughs> Do you want to play Mario Kart DS? Okay, so <laughs> let's do the same thing with Mario Wonder and New Super Mario Bros. on DS, Matthew. Let's do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that only is preposterous. But listen, I just want to. I just want to put the thought out there. <laughs> Fine, bit of spice there. Um, just a, like I got to do something after you attack <laughs> the holy grail of drafting, which is Hotel Dusk. <laughs> okay, that's really oh. unseated. This draft episode that has absolutely like psychic damage to the max that one okay all right then what's your next pick matthew i have no idea um listen you're not gonna take it but i am i'm gonna get it off the board just in case something like mad happens i am for adventure i'm going to take the legend of zelda phantom hourglass did you already pick castlevania for this one no that was for side scroller oh okay sorry because you kindly reminded me it was a side scroller oh yeah sorry um yeah you were right to pick this i was gonna pick it next good good job yes I will not be Uncharted 2 3 again. <laughs> Never again. Take nothing for granted in the drafts. He's learning. He's learning, listener. Phantom Hourglass, this had the hard job of translating Zelda into into the touchscreen format for the first time. Did an amazing job. Like they basically don't don't change the controls for spirit tracks afterwards. Controlling link with the stylus, little gestures to do attacks and rolls and other moves. The way that they translated Link's equipment into stylus-based control and some of the new 
powers that brought to it using like the hook shot for little tight ropes and things i thought this was really imaginative if you've played every zelda game i think this did stuff with all of the old favorites that you'd never seen before and i was just impressed that this control scheme had genuinely like awoken some fresh thinking in them it doesn't hurt that it's a return to the universe of wind waker looks absolutely delightful lovely music has a lot of fun with the kind of drawing a little line to sail around the ocean go on little adventures spirit tracks i think is is definitely like the quirkier of the two games it's got a little bit more weirdness to it which will probably resonate more with listeners to this of this podcast but i think phantom hourglass itself you know it's, it's not diminished it's, it's still an absolutely outstanding adventure game some people have an issue with this central dungeon that you return to after each of the other temples the idea being that the new item you bring reinvents the dungeon it's not quite as interesting as that all told you know you're shaving off a little bit of time in this dungeon with sort of shortcuts that open up but they they did enough innovating with the controls that they don't need to take this big kind of structural twist in at the center of the game too you may be more of a spirit tracks head and that's fine i accept that but i I don't think anyone would say this is this is uh, anything less than an excellent game i personally spirit tracks is much more appealing to me but you know that's again you know, not a bad pick by any means, Matthew. So, uh, yeah, I don't want to sound negative about all of your picks. I think you, you've justified <laughs> this one quite nicely before when we talked about it, because um, it did come up in the legendary Best Zelda Games episode, um, which was a, a Matthew Castle classic. Okay, good pick. My next Thank pick you. then. Uh, category 14, free pick two. I'm going to take Dragon Quest Nine. Mm. So, got a good combo of rpgs there i think we've got the the much more experimental and wild the world ends with you and the very trad but presented in a really nice modern form rpg of dragon quest 9 which in some ways i think is like a culmination of many ds great ds things so you have obviously square enix you have level 5 and you also have um some like uh, basically like wi-fi functionality like multiplayer functionality on a level they've never done before with dragon quest where you could have um, people join your adventure that sort of thing and then travel around together um sharing some kind of treasure maps element matthew i'm not sort of familiar with that that side of it but, yeah it's um, like an early version of street pass but just for this game so if you had the game you could set your ds in like wi-fi mode and it would swap maps so it, it caused a, a kind of phenomenon of like huge meetups in japan around shopping centers where everyone would go there to kind of harvest these randomized treasure maps from other people's ds's yeah absolutely and so i think that as what the other thing that's key i think with the dragon quest games on ds is i think that toriyama's art style actually translates better to ds than maybe the final fantasy games do like they just sort Mm. of like they look the part like the dragon quest sort of like um joker games they do like look incredible as well they actually like make the most of the 3d style and you know um sort of very stylized uh depictions of characters but kind of like kind of miraculous i think is like a, a ds undertaking like a huge game like a massive deal that this moved from home consoles to handheld and the ds was obviously the right choice at the time it sold more than five million copies um so yeah while i'm like not it's not a huge heart series for me dragon quest even at the time i was like well this feels pretty fucking deluxe for a ds you know a ds new ds entry in a series thoughts matthew yeah absolutely i mean like at at the time and probably still now like one of the crown jewels in sort of square enix's collection of games so wherever the mainline entry went they pumped so much into it they obviously made it with level five so it had all their technical know-how as well 
looked absolutely brilliant. You know, I love the music. It's super trad, but like an absolute world-class example of a simple turn-based battling with a job system. If you're into the kind of basics of the form, it's one of the best of its kind. I had a very, very nice press trip for this where they took me to a Dragon Quest cafe where it played the tavern theme tune constantly on a loop for two hours, and I think a part of my brain is still broken after that. (laughs) Good stuff. Well, that's a nice little bit of colour to go alongside this. Yeah. Um, the famous press trip you stole from uh, under the uh, yeah under someone <laughs> else on another, another magazine. Okay, what's your next pick, Matthew? Gimmicky touchscreen controls. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take Trauma Center. Oh yeah, one of the classic games that was sort of advertised alongside the DS of like only on DS. Have you heard of the Weird Surgery game? Most people were more excited about Have you heard of the Weird Lawyer game? Because it sort of came out quite close to Ace Attorney. This is a kind of an arcade surgery game where you are performing under the pressure of time and declining health. It's an incredibly difficult game, but one I think most people will enjoy experiencing once at least uh, before they get really frustrated with the later levels. Uh, The stylus is any number of surgical tools. It's all played on the touchscreen. You kind of tap them down the side. You get little knives to kind of cut open uh, wounds to get inside the kind of cavity, and then you've got like a little tube. You can suck out kind of blood to better see the the wound you've got to like stitch up or bandage it's kind of a memory game in that you're trying to remember the process for each individual kind of wound and it's a very abstract version of surgery you know it's kind of like big strange neon organs i wouldn't say it's it's trying to go for like gruesome realism or anything you know a lot of it is well i know this wound's very easy to fix so i'll prioritize that first and it's it's a game of sort of prioritizing kind of desperate sort of triage a distinctly ds experience they brought this to we obviously probably a better fit for stylus like the precision of that rather than the kind of jittery nerves of, of the pointer controls that they had on the remote mm-hmm. um also as as like the size of the adventure maybe a better fit for a handheld game to short snappy bursts of sort of arcade fun with ace attorney-ish sort of visual novel sections in between as you kind of unpick this strange disease uh, which is terrorizing the hospital yeah the only reason i didn't pick it is it is so fucking hard and annoying um in places like it's very nicely presented and i think it like you say at the time it was you know another example of like a type of game you'd never seen before and they could only really do on ds and it existed because of the ds and therefore it's very exciting but i do think it's just like just so tricky and just like and and it happens like it happens faster than i remember matthew the um like getting to the difficult bits in this like it's you get this like, like buzz of like, oh, this is so specific to game type, and then it's just so hard. Um, yeah, it gets so hard. So that's the only reason I didn't pick it. But I do agree that like, as much as like Oenden or Phoenix Wright, this is like you know DS as fuck for sure. Like it's right. hardcore important ds games so yeah would you did you consider the sequel which i think was better received but like played by fewer people i think like what you need to see from this game you'll see in the first one you know it makes perfect sense rather than having like a you know a weird thing with established characters and everything Mm. um i'm confident you're not going to pick the sequel okay fair enough (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um said for um category 11 ports matthew will you let me have tetris ds yeah, I think so. I'm not. I'm not that. I'm not that worried about Tetris DS. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Okay, I've just got the best version of Tetris ever. It's fucking incredible. What? You think it's better than Tetris Effect? Uh, uh. I think. Uh, actually, I don't know. What kind of modes do they have in Tetris Effect? Do they have like, like the 
competition modes you fire blocks at each other and stuff like that does it do that stuff because that's what's yeah, great a little about, bit about it. it's just i just like all the weird sort of psychedelic windmills i do love that i mean it's like you know it's a it's a, my number one vr game for sure tetris effect it's um but this is like i'm not, I'm not gonna knock it tetris ds is fucking great yeah you so know? it is it's as exciting for tetris for like nintendo <laughs> heads as tetris effect is for mizuguchi heads yeah yeah like q games yeah um so yeah it's um this t- this game is classic Tetris. It has that experience in it, though it does let you save blocks, which is uh, arguably makes it a bit too easy, but lets you do that. Um, save one block and then drop it whenever you wish. So you can play the cla- classic um, DS, te- uh, sorry, classic Game Boy style Tetris, um, which is why I got away with this one as port. Then layers on loads of other different versions of Tetris too. So of the ones I remember, there's basically a competitive Metroid Tetris where you're firing blocks at each other and trying to like basically get lines as quickly as possible and then like apply pressure to the other player which is a really cool fun experience um to to sort of take tetris that way but my personal highlight was the basically like the the touchscreen puzzle tetris they did where you could slide you had to slide blocks to solve the puzzle so you just like pull a square block along and drop it in in order to like solve this this puzzle and that was a really great use of the ds it wasn't just like farted out you know ds port of tetris it was nintendo saying what are all the cool permutations we can we can explore with tetris on our rad handheld and it was a massive seller and it looked fantastic as well looked and sounded incredible and uh, yeah themed around nintendo i think this is a real treat so i'm i'm pleased to get this on my um on my uh my list matthew Hmm. yeah okay so what's your next pick for visual novel i'll take nine hours nine person nine doors Nice. Thought that would come up. This is obviously uh, Uchikoshi's first Zero Escape game. Some would say, like, most powerful in terms of, if, if you know, if you've played it without having played Zero Time Dilemma or uh, Virtue's Last Reward, you know, this is the first time you're encountering his unique box of narrative tricks. It's about a group of strangers locked in a sort of strange survival game. Uh, there are locked room. Uh, sort of puzzle rooms that you solve in kind of breakaway sort of point and click adventure sections which I actually think kind of help liven up the game like you know you, you get a chunk of visual novel where everyone argues about the situation they're stuck in then you get to go away and actually do do more of a kind of tangible puzzle that you're interacting with and I think that kind of breaks up the endless storytelling it m- makes it um, super engaging to play a huge number of mad twists and turns uh, a lot of the game is about exploring multiple branches of this branching story at first this just seems to be a quite a gamey kind of made up concept but as it goes on you realize there is the game is a, is a kind of commentary on its own structure and that structure is woven into its story in a really interesting way he kind of uses that trick across all three games so whichever one you see it in first will probably impress you the most this is the part one of a trilogy great place to start no prior knowledge needed so i've uh, yeah no worries about recommending it and having it on my mini ds or whatever this device is that we're making yep that's uh that makes sense i didn't even want to try and pick this one without the context because it's just so fucking complicated a premise that it needs an expert to explain it really so <laughs> left that one for you buddy glad you picked it thank um, you never released in europe either so you know nice to have i think that's like fairly elusive cart these days to get hold of that one yeah um, i mean it's you can play it on like pc and other formats but again yeah but the the style of the storytelling and the scope of it it, it was made for DS, and that's where it remains most effective. Okay, fair play. Right then. So, for my 
platformer, I'm going to take Castlevania Order of Ecclesia. Uh, okay. Not played it. People love it. Um, <laughs> not uh, me. So not Matthew. Um, it's like visually, like so. Dawn of Sorrow very has this. I think quite very appealing anime style. This goes a bit more closer to the, I would say, like gritty Symphony of the Night style. Matthew, it's a bit, bit more in that direction. Um, mm-hmm. I know almost nothing else about it though. So, uh, but on the list it goes. I need a platformer. I do want to pick Kirby Superstar Deluxe because uh, I don't know. Again, I think like there's. I think actually New Super Mario Bros. may be the pick for this category. But I think having Castlevania, which was an important part of the DS journey, um, is a good choice. And people did like this one apart from you. Um, You didn't review this one for Edge, did you? You're not responsible for the Edge 6 for this game. I don't think I did. I mean, like I say, bad memory. (laughs) Everyone else gave this an 8. So I don't feel like this is a bad pick at all. And like like I say, apart from the the competition seems to be between this and Dawn of Sorrow for the best um, DS one. So Mm. yeah, don't feel bad having it there. Wish I had things of more substance to say, but what can I say? It's the draft. It's competitive, damn it. That's how it goes. You just say whatever you have to say. Exactly. Don't have a great line on Chrono Trigger. You say Chrono Trigger nonetheless. (laughs) Okay. Uh, That was bold to start first with a game you could say things about i will say that but um that was uh it was very amusing at the same time uh, what's your next pick matthew for wild card i'll take infinite space yeah classic this is platinum games and nude maker do a intergalactic rpg spaceship simulation battling game incredibly ambitious for ds but the beauty of it is where they decide to simplify and how they squeeze that into an epic battling system it's all about building ships but the ships are then in quite a basic sort of rock paper scissors combat system but the ship you build drastically changes how it performs within that rock paper sister system a huge amount of customization and a lot of thought goes into it but when it fundamentally comes to the battling it doesn't like overwhelm the system which obviously isn't capable as you know of doing a full space sim like you can on pc that's married to just really funny writing charismatic characters as you go on this weird adventure encountering quite bizarre platinum style boss characters dotted around the galaxy before it all goes a little bit Arthur C. Clarke in the second half and gets a bit kind of heavier with it. Lots of people struggle with this because it's very, very difficult and has quite an uncompromising save system. But if you do click with it, I think there's nothing else quite like it. And I I think it's always good for these mini consoles to have a couple of weirdo picks that are going to really resonate with some and other people will just feel smug that they own something cool uh fair enough matthew that's a classic wildcard pick i found this a slightly too impenetrable this weekend to just like right play, uh, yeah to play I, I in 40 like minutes a, oh i think can i get the run of it in like half <laughs> an hour probably not no exactly that's fair enough uh okay uh good stuff right then okay category four puzzle i'm going to take professor layton in the curious village okay this the professor layton game i've played and i'm going to gamble on this one being the one that most people have played and (laughs) you go into this slightly odd village and you're trying to find out what happened to i don't remember there's a bunch of posh people and there's like something odd about the village and then there's a preposterous twist about what happened what the what's going on with the people in the village that actually is like actually did surprise me when i found out what it was but what a great little formula with this, you know, like sort of French style, you know, band-aid, kind of like 
inspired art style of these very obscure looking potato men who you encounter exploring this place finding secret puzzles um solving just like little brain teasers a really nice hint system if you get stuck just like you know like really good puzzle design i'm willing to believe that the puzzle design gets better matthew but as a self-contained great first run at an idea for for a fantastic series this is the one that captured people's imaginations i can see why um yep so i I finished this during the pandemic it was a game that i hadn't touched for like 13 years came back to it and finished it which was really satisfying and the puzzles in it are super good and uh yeah it's just also just has like um full motion video sort of like animations just like real nice sort of visual touch and bringing these um these games to life and giving them so much personality so yeah curious village matthew do you like this one yeah i mean establishes everything that's great about the series basically the first trilogy all great i think they get a little better with each one you know, yeah. culminating with uh, Lost Future. But um, everything that's good about Professor Layton is in this first one. I'm not going to slag it off. It's a great pick. What's your next pick, Matthew? Uh, for tactics or strategy, I'm going to take Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon. Mm-hmm. Very, very hard to get hold of. Not that that massively seems to impact people's voting, because this thing isn't actually going to exist. But um, <laughs> this is a remake of the original Fire Emblem where the team just basically went back to that first story and bought uh, a lot of quality of life improvements. It's kind of interesting like where it lands on the timeline of Fire Emblem because I think they, they had you know, a decent amount of success introducing the series to the West on GBA with the two Fire Emblems there. So it's not like it's a series that was like desperately sort of struggling or needing reinvention, but I like that they, this was a very focused effort to actually clarify some of the ideas, teach people the basics. It really hammered home the rock, paper, scissors relationship at the heart of Fire Emblem. A little overlooked at the time, uh, I think Fire Emblem now being a little bit more beloved, like people go back and want to rediscover these games and find this one quite hard to, to get hold of. That's certainly my relationship with it. I only played a little bit of this at the time and kind of dismissed it as feeling a little old-fashioned or, or not really appreciating its role as a piece of, like, heritage that they've very kind of carefully updated, which is something, like, I value a bit more now, being older and, you know, a, a little less sort of snooty and obsessed with the new so um a game i feel deserves re-evaluation or at least better appreciation from fools like me <laughs> uh fair enough that's uh yeah that's i think that makes it makes it a good pick uh nonetheless <laughs> it, tri- it gets tricky around here doesn't it in terms of like ranking sort of like importance of things i mean fire emblem is a weird one in the sense that I don't massively cover this game. Like, I think that the visual style of the um, 3DS ones is maybe part of why it came to life, that people just really like that yeah. that art style. But, um, yeah, the, the, the fact that this is kind of like a lost game in some ways, so I can see why it's... Yeah, and it's something about the, like, the, the original team behind it coming back and updating their work, you know, just showing what they valued in it, you know. And then I think, you know... Awakenings obviously comes along, takes the series in a slightly different direction. It's a slightly new generation of people, but I've I've, I've still got uh, you know affection for these these earlier games. Fair play, Matthew. Okay, good choice. It's right, not then. Magic Clash of Heroes, but <laughs> well, to be honest, on paper, people might just vote for Fire Emblem on principle because they might not know how good that that game is. So uh, you know, and hey, you know, it's also a good pick in its own right, obviously. Yes. Okay. My wild card. I'm going to take the puzzle game Meteos. Okay. So, 
Mizuguchi puzzle game where you're basically matching up tiles and trying to get lots of tiles to take off off the screen with little rocket boosters um, before the screen gets full. A very frantic game, a very, very like panicky, energetic puzzle game that seems to have like a massive cult audience. People seem to really love this at the time. And kind of up and down with Mizuguchi's games that like some some click with me some don't like I like Luminaires but I don't love it necessarily I think this is like really accomplished and 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 like and fun and like I can see why it's got the reputation it does like it uses the touchscreen really nicely they put it on 360 but I don't think it quite got the same reception just like really made sense for the DS's like touchscreen and uh, really satisfying to see all the kind of like blocks pop off and just disappear off your screen a cool a cool fit for the DS and you know amazing really that you can you know make something puzzly and distinctive and have it get this much sort of like acclaim um despite you know there obviously being so many offerings in that space on ds so hmm. yeah uh, meteos is matthew do you have much relationship with this one designed by sakurai is um, it no less yeah okay i didn't know that this is like a, a free a freelance gig i think a post post smash brothers when he kind of goes out into the world and explains some of it slightly sort of everything but the kitchen sink demented energy mitsuguchi meets sakurai which is an interesting combo yeah for sure like it's uh yeah it's I did actually had no idea Sakurai was involved. I should have done That's more, right. re- I done more it's, research. It's a, it's a strange period of his career. He's like a bit of, he sort of goes out and floats around. Yeah. So um, yeah, like yeah. So you know, yeah, like there's nothing else quite like it really as a, as a yeah. pick. So very, yeah. very. So if you find block puzzlers stressful at the best of times, adding rocket boosters that send everything flying all over the shop, it's great. It's full on. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it is frantic for sure. So that is the yeah, that is the word I would use. But yeah, I think um of the the puzzle games of this generation still has a reputation all these years later, Matthew. And uh mm. yeah, not that hard to get hold of either for those collecting. What's your next pick, Matthew? Pokemon game. Yep. Pokemon Heart Gold. I appreciate you can take Soul Silver and it made this cancel it out. This is the Pokemon game I've played the most of. Uh I was our Pokemon guy on the magazine, hilariously, for for a long time. I wrote the World of Pokemon section. Around the time that this this game was quite big, I did a Pokemon diary of playing Pokemon Heart Gold. I know that it's based on Gold Silver, the beloved uh, Game Boy games. The updating was was very sophisticated. It let you have a little Pokemon that follows behind you, like in Pokemon Yellow, except it's any of the Pokemon. It came with a pedometer, which you could put your uh, Pokemon in and then go for a real-life walk, and it would gain XP and energy from you doing that, which was which was very cute. Got me off my fat ass. <laughs> um, everyone knows where I am with Pokemon. I I, I, I find I find the, the tone of them quite childish, and that really really puts me off. But I know there's huge nostalgia for this game. It's a lot of people's favourite iteration of the game and so a very polished remake of that iteration cynically should do quite well in this draft yeah so i'll jump in and say i was i'm going to take soul silver at the same time so that makes sense really because there's you know there this is the one i have the most connection to because i did play pokemon gold and silver and this was like a a real like full-blown detail-packed rich you know like version of that you know remake of that game the magic of Pokemon Gold and Silver was that they managed to cram the new play, the new area of the the new world to explore Johto, and then also they managed to cram in Kanto as well, the original setting from Red and Blue. So you basically had like two games in one. You could go and beat all the 
uh, gym leaders from um, Red and Blue after you'd done the ones in Johto, which was just such a, a cool idea. And so to get what was already a, a packed sequel on Game Boy, um, like enhanced even more for DS. And, you know, obviously you can trade the Pokemon into the other DS games and build out like a, you know, your full collection from there. It just has so many like little touches that enhance it for Pokemon players, like little twists and yeah, additions and yeah, things to go and like dig out. It's just like, it's the best... I think like it's it's like the the pinnacle of what I love I, I like about Pokemon in terms of like the visual style as well. It's like a really nice mix of the the 3D um, art and like buildings and stuff like that, but also 2D sprites that that bring it to life. It's just a it's a great fit for what the DS's functionality was. So I prefer that to the um, the later sort of attempts at 3D they would try with black and white. Matthew, this is much yeah. more my sort of thing. So yeah, okay, good. We've both got our Pokemon game sorted then. Um, what's your next pick? Rhythm action. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Jam of the Band. Okay. The classic multiplayer Nintendo first party game where you know a line moves along a bar and you hit direction, D-pad directions or face buttons to play notes and that way you play classical pieces of music or pop music or whatever. It doesn't quite have the sort of simplicity or the elegance of like a guitar hero where you have those bands running down. Like to look at this, it, it looks like you're playing a, a bit of music software. Pretty like no frills to look at, but the actual satisfaction of hitting buttons in time with the music in order to play the music is, is very satisfying. The gimmick of this is it has a multiplayer element where it breaks the tracks down into like their eight respective instruments. You play wirelessly. Everyone, by playing one specific instrument between you, you play uh, the complete piece of music. So you're like a little virtual orchestra, which is incredibly cool. The fact that it has like the free wireless play meant that you only needed one copy and then everyone could kind of jam with you. One of the harder Nintendo games to like love, I don't think they ever really nailed the look or vibe of the thing. Like this had the infamous mascot Barbara Bat, who's like a very sexualized bat lady. Quite a weird Nintendo character. Some strange conversations about her in respect of Iwata Asks interviews. But if you ignore the very sexy bat lady, I think you can just enjoy the silliness of playing this music together. Uh, I used to do a podcast called The Rotating Platform. It's the only other podcast that exists outside of this one. (laughs) And we had a regular segment where we would play a tune collectively. The three of us would attempt to play a tune on this as a little musical interlude. And it always just dissolved into just raucous laughter at how fucking monstrous it sounded. That's the appeal of this game. Oh, and Dan definitely the better single player hang but um i've long been a cheerleader of of jam with a band so happy to have it on there yeah i I know nothing about this game like it's a late ds game isn't it so it's um it yeah passed me by but yeah yeah, it's uh it's sounds like a good pick matthew sounds like a real head snow kind of pick so uh yeah but like uh owen dan is it's it's powerful that's 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 quite a tough one it's powerful yeah it's it's tough Uh, so yeah I, i get that but um Yes, nonetheless, I, I would have been curious to check this out. I'm sad I missed out on it. It's, uh, yeah, a good. I'm sure it was a, a fun endgamer thing to experience at the time. Okay, my last pick then. Category 6, shooter or side-scrolling game. God, finally there. I'm going to take Aliens Infestation. Oh, God. <laughs> there are loads of, like, way-forward side-scrolling games on DS. I played the Thor one today, the one tied tie into the Chris Hemsworth film, and it's, it's not bad. This one, I think, has, like, the standout pixel art and sound it's just really frantic fun sort of like schlocky take on aliens it's published by sega and it just like 
actually just like the seeing the Geiger designs like rendered on DS pixel art is actually really cool. And so, yeah, just a really fun has the motion tracker, which is obviously like always a great sort of video game conceit for like creating a bit of arbitrary tension. Uh, yeah, just not loads to it, um, but like yeah. a, a real fun just sort of fun like curio that is a little bit lost to time again because like there's nowhere else you can play it and it's quite expensive to get hold of thoughts matthew of the way forward games on ds this is this is definitely one of the stronger ones like how they kind of nailed that license and boiled it down i'm I'm not a big way forward guy there was always quite a big divide between us and euro european journalists on this right like i think they had a few champions on like ign and GameSpot who basically give all their games an a i always thought the sprite art looked quite nice but i never thought they really had the gameplay chops i definitely remember playing this and being surprised that like quite a complete aliens experience was there to be had on ds oh yeah good i'm glad to hear you're not completely down on this one i did think about yeah. um i did think about metro prime hunters for this but it's such a vanilla version of yeah. that kind of game not very interesting i thought about bangayo spirits because you know i'm a big dreamcast head and so <laughs> seeing that kind <laughs> of live on ds it combines my two favorite things <laughs> ds and and dreamcast um <laughs> that thor game that's a way forward one as well i think yeah probably got like an eight on ign but it's probably a bit of a six you know it's just okay like it feels a bit it feels like quite rushed there's a really good version of that type of game for superheroes to be made i think but it's um mm. that i would say only gets about like yeah like i don't know half of the way there whereas this uh, this is like a better this is a better depiction of aliens and that is a depiction of the mcu i would say so uh yeah it's a it's cool it just go look at some of the sprites for this it's, they really did a good job um i found actually i was watching a playthrough of it earlier and i saw like there's a dude in the commenters who was in the comments saying um i'm a tattoo artist and i made the pixel art for this freelance i'm glad people are enjoying it all these years later and i thought good for him um so yeah that's uh, that's my story matthew okay your last pick <laughs> my last pick it's a free pick so it could literally be anything animal crossing wild world that has been replaced by other Animal Crossings. Yeah, that was the that was the tricky thing. Mario, Mario Kart, I thought I could get away with, but not quite. Yeah, Mario yeah. Kart, yes, but Animal Crossing, you just can't, you can't go back. Such a pivotal DS game, though, like massive, massive deal. But yeah, I love WarioWare DIY, but it's quite a niche pick. I think I was like the only person who played it and liked it. The games that you made that you shared in the Discord <laughs> were so funny, Matthew. There was that Santa Claus one. Is is this Santa Claus the Miracle of Thirty Four? It was so good. That was so good. <laughs> one of my happiest happiest i spent so long i put so much of my own like evening and weekend time to making those mini games for one spread what's the but what's the one where a homeless guy gets run over what's that one <laughs> a homeless guy gets run over it's like i saw it twice in that reel of like of games and oh yeah uh... a dude like a dude sleep in the gutter gets run over twice by a car his arm comes off it's quite brutal fuck it uh yeah, that's the more general films one. I'd have to, I have to have a look at it and see if, if, if um, remind myself. Yeah. Um. Oh, this is tough. Listen, I'm, I'm gonna go with. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. Like, it's broken now for me, but I desperately want to play it again. Uh, I, my, my major nod to the, the more casual audience on this, but where I had a lot of fun. I'm gonna take Picross DS. Mm. There are loads of these games, kind of take a thing that you like in real life, crosswords or card games or whatever, and put them on DS with nice stylus controls. Picross as a game, like, I, I, I don't know if you can play Picross in a newspaper. Is that a, I don't know if it's a thing, like, it's kind of a 
you know, in that family of your Sudokus or whatever, it's a, a grid-based, number-based puzzle where the numbers tell you how many squares on a line have to be kind of coloured in uh, and how many are left empty. I guess there's a little bit of Minesweeper in its DNA as well. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that as you fill this grid following all these kind of number clues, the squares you fill in eventually reveal a picture. I mean, that's quite generous. It, the, the game has to, like, colour it in and animate it for you to go, oh, right, it's a kettle, I guess, <laughs> if you kind of look at it from this angle. But that's part of Picross DS's charm very like mindless fill in the grids this game just had hundreds and hundreds of the things Picross lives on in you know on switch there are lots of versions of this i think they release lots of packs i think it's jupiter who make it and they're still still making it maybe that's maybe i've got the wrong friend of nintendo studio but i think it's something like that dead simple my brother once cosplayed as Picross because he loved Picross so much he went to a fancy dress party dressed as a Picross grid classic castle family anecdote that uh, I think that happened. We'll have to get him on the podcast to get that. Um, <laughs> no, I've seen a photo of that. That is real. Yeah, okay, that's real. Yeah. Good. Picross DS against the mighty Dragon Quest Nine. Well, look. <laughs> You'd love to see it. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Um, all right. So, Matthew, is there anything you wish you'd picked that you didn't grab? Outside of ones you already picked, I was quite tempted by Radiant Historia, which is an amazing JRPG, but I just don't think enough people know it. And if I've learned anything from drafts, you know, there's there's a lot of like pearls before swine with this stuff so it's just not even worth wasting it on these animals <laughs> well that's what he thinks of you the voters which is good um, yes matthew's honesty i yeah I, I i do get what you mean i looked into it as well and i've got the 3ds version which is a nice version of it as yeah. well and um yeah who knows maybe it'll come up on a future 3ds draft or something i'm not sure but like it's kind of a chrono trigger adjacent rpg um yeah which i obviously love <laughs> i would i thought you might have picked one of the other dragon quest games actually like the some nice ports on that DS on the DS yeah, versions, but I, I really liked. I think it was four was the one I really liked. When you play as the four different heroes, they're almost like mini adventures, and then they come together. Yeah, um, along similar really along similar lines. I thought about the um, Final Fantasy. There's like a tactics game on DS A2. There's also um, Four Heroes of Light, which is kind of like a throwback to older games. It's a bunch of kids going on yeah, an adventure. Yeah, uh, um, kind of preempts Bravely Default as well. It's what the team did before that. Yeah, very much so. It's their their whole deal. And so you also had from the same team. It's Matrix Software, isn't it? They did the um, they did FF3 and FF4 versions, but yeah, they're okay. But I don't know. I think like it's I don't know that they weren't even they wouldn't be my three would be my um pick for like playing that game now but i would just play the pixel remaster of four like all the psp version of four they're they're better mm. versions of that to me so yep um to each their own though uh yeah and a few other sort of bango spirits i thought about the ninja gaiden game on ds the one with, with super nice yeah. graphics that's pretty cool i thought about that one played that a couple of years ago but um and then there was also peggle jewel strike which i did think about too for wildcard <laughs> but uh got my puzzle games sorted out with tetris ds there and uh professor layton okay matthew that was a long episode but i think it was fun back page pod you can vote for the winner we're gonna do our final recap of the results here Category one, platformer. I've got Castlevania Order of Ecclesia. I've got New Super Mario Brothers. Category two, adventure. I've got The Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks. I've got The Legend of Zelda Phantom Hourglass. Category three, RPG. I've got The World Ends With You. Mario and Luigi, Bowser's Inside Story. Category four, puzzle. I've got Professor Layton in the Curious Village. Professor Layton and the Lost Future. Category five, visual novel. I've got Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. I've got nine hours, nine persons, nine doors. Category 6, shooter or side-scrolling game. I've got Aliens Infestation. I've got Castlevania Dawn of Sorrow. 
Category 7, Pokemon game. I've got Pokemon Soul Silver. I've got Pokemon Heart Gold. There's a lot of that in this, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> Category 8, Rhythm Action. I've got Owenden. I've got Jam with the Band. Category 9, Tactics Strategy. I've got Might and Magic Clash of Heroes. Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon. Category 10, Gimmicky Touchscreen Controls. I've got GTA Chinatown Wars. I've got Trauma Center. Category 11, Port. I've got Tetris DS. I've got Chrono Trigger. Category 12, Touch Generations Game. I've got Rhythm Heaven. Well, unfortunately, I've got Hotel Dusk. <laughs> Category 13, Free Pick 1. I've got Mario Kart DS. Oh, ghost Trick. Category 14, Free Pick 2. I've got Dragon Quest 9. I've got Picross DS. Category 15, Wild Card. I've got Meteos. I've got Infinite Space. Excellent. I think we picked some pretty fucking good games there, Matthew. <laughs> yes. It's a, it a nice draft. Sorry it was so long. I know you have to edit this one, but No, that's okay. That's okay. I've you... just gotta I'm just gonna edit I'm gonna edit out some of my uh hotel dust despair so I sound so I don't like lose you know, I don't wanna people to lose faith faith in my <laughs> picks as I lose faith in my picks. Well that's good. That should take a good twenty minutes out of the final uh, final running yeah. time. So that's good. <laughs> uh, Matthew, it's always a pleasure doing these. I think we did the DS justice in this one. Um like I say, I wish I'd kind of got Animal Crossing in there, but it wasn't quite the strongest pick. But no. Animal Crossing and Phoenix Wright, they brought me to the dance of the DS and I fucking love that. Who needs Animal Crossing when you've got aliens infestation? <laughs> that does seem weird on paper, doesn't it? But hey ho, <laughs> these are the, the sums we make with the draft. Okay, Backpage Pod on Twitter if you'd like to follow us. Backpage Pod on Blue Sky if you prefer that uh, platform. I basically repeat the content on both. I'm Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter. Where are you, Matthew? I am Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. If you like what we make and you want to support us financially in any way, shape or form, patreon.com slash backpagepod. You can also get bonus episodes at the £4.50 tier. But either way, we appreciate your support. Matthew, let's get out of here. Let's do it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.